This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. I had a little bit of a trip yesterday. Not a, uh, not like, oh, that was trippy, but an actual trip where I went to the Portland International Airport and I got on an Alaska Airlines flight out of Portland heading towards Spokane, Washington, where I would presumably rent a car and drive into Colfax, the site of the Pac-12 versus the Pac-2 lawsuit, Whitman County Superior Court. I would watch the court proceedings, then drive back to Spokane, fly to Seattle, change planes, fly to Portland. I had to do that because there was no uh, late flight from Spokane to Portland direct. That was the plan anyway. And it mostly went as I thought it would. And I got to the Portland International Airport, where, by the way, they're just doing construction and construction. It's like the never-ending construction project. Kind of just wondering if uh, if they're really doing anything or are they just, like, hammering on things behind the uh, curtain? <laughs> you know? Like, at some point, are they going to be done? But I uh, went through Portland International Airport and got uh, to the B-Gates... Ordered a cup of coffee because it was early. Nice people at the uh, coffee shop. Filmed a little video, put it on the gram. That's Instagram for you older people. <laughs> I flew out of, uh, got on my plane, got on my plane. I didn't fly yet. I got on my plane and settled into my seat, buckled my seatbelt, all of that jazz. And then uh, the captain came on. This is your captain speaking. And uh, we got a little bit of a problem in Spokane. We have a uh, what they called a uh, a low ceiling. It uh, had to do with the fog or the cloud cover in Spokane. Uh, it was really foggy there. And uh, the pilot apparently that was operating this uh, Alaska Airlines flight, ha- like I didn't even know this was a thing. And maybe you didn't know this was a thing either, but certain pilots, based on their experience level, have different kind of um, ceilings that they can fly into. Like if it's low visibility or the cloud cover's low, you know, a more experienced pilot, which makes total sense when you think about it, a more more experienced pilot needs to be at the controls. And so the pilot got on, he said, oh, we're going to wait about a half an hour to see if the uh, cloud cover lifts a little bit and then uh, we're allowed to fly in there. And what he meant was, I'm allowed to fly in there. Because we soon found out about 20 minutes later, as another captain hustled onto the plane, older-looking gentleman, and a younger-looking captain uh, hustled off the plane, that the older captain had the ability to fly into low cloud cover. Now, I didn't know how I felt about this. I even texted Anna at one point. I said, hey, we just switched captains, because apparently the guy who got off the uh, airplane was not allowed to fly into clouds. 
And she says, how are you feeling about the new captain? I said, you know, I feel pretty good. He's got a patch over one eye, you know. He, he, you know, he got a parrot on his shoulder, but he looked pretty good. And uh, I was just kidding. But the the captain flew. We flew into Spokane, got in there. Then I figured out pretty like pretty quickly, like, yeah, that's like, as we were flying in, I rolled the shade up. I don't know if you go shade up or shade down when you're on a plane, but I, I like to go shade up when we're landing because then you're not surprised when the plane actually touches down. <laughs> can be pretty jarring if you're not expecting it. And so uh, I'm watching him go through the cloud cover, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what radar's for because he can't see a damn thing. And he's just flying through the clouds. And uh, so I get into Spokane, and I get into my car, and it was the same way, driving a little bit from Spokane to Colfax, Washington, except... About 10 minutes outside of Spokane, the cloud cover lifted, and it was blue skies, and it was farmland and rolling hills. And if you've ever made that drive, you know that's God's country out there, that it's just beautiful. Anytime somebody says, oh, Pullman's in the middle of nowhere, or Corvallis is in the middle of nowhere, or how far do you have to drive from the Portland metropolitan area to get to Eugene, I always talk uh, and tell people about those drives um, that and how pretty they are. And this one... Uh, from Spokane into Colfax is among the most beautiful. I mean, it's just farmland and, and rolling hills, and you just realize, like, uh, like, gosh, what a beautiful country, what a beautiful place we live in in the Pacific Northwest. And so then I, 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 I pull into the small town of Colfax. Now, I don't know if you've been to Colfax, Washington, but the downtown on Main Street, where the highway goes right through Main Street, is really only about five blocks, five city blocks long. And it's a barber shop, and it's a couple of cafes. There's a Chinese restaurant at the end of the drag. And, uh, you know, it's not, uh, there's a, there's a uh, bar and grill about halfway down, city hall, the courthouse, the jail, all kind of together in one space. And so I kind of got the lay of the land and tried to get a feel for, like, how big Colfax is. And I had been texting earlier in the day with the uh, uh, a pastor, Pastor McNally, who is a, youth pastor and a pastor of a church in the Pullman area. And, you know, he's the guy I wrote about when the Pac-12 conference got, you know, ditched by the nine or ten departing schools, depending on which day it was. Um, He was the pastor who had his youth group in charge of the parking lot outside Washington State Stadium. I don't know if you read the column. I wrote about Pastor McNally, sort of the, uh, you know, the the real-world implications of realignment. That they that that church and the youth group of the church relied heavily on that parking lot on college football game days when they would play opponents like USC or UCLA or Oregon or Washington to get forty or fifty dollars a car and then they fund their youth you know youth group throughout throughout the year based on what they make during college football season they have the good fortune of having a church that's like a block away from Martin Stadium so Pastor McNally said hey, I'll make the drive over. And I'll basically show you Colfax because he's like 15 minutes away. And so he met me in downtown Colfax and we went to a cafe and we walk into this little cafe where a bell rings when you open the door and then you order and then they bring you out sandwiches. By the way, sandwiches are great. But as we walked through the doors of the cafe, I noticed right away a table along the left side of the restaurant where Trudy... Leiby was sitting. Now, if you don't know who Trudy Leiby is, I'll just tell you, Judge Gary Leiby was the man at the center of yesterday's court hearing featuring Washington State, Oregon State against the PAC-10 departing members. 
And uh, Gary Libby's wife is named Trudy. Now, Trudy grew up in Colfax. She's lived there her whole life. She knows everybody. She's unmistakable. And she's sitting in this cafe. And Trudy's sitting sitting there, and I kind of notice her. She doesn't see me. And I sit down with the pastor, and I said, hey, that's the judge's wife over there. And then he says, well, she happens to be sitting with the former Washington State football coach. Former Washington State, uh, you may be a fan of Washington State, maybe you're not a fan of Washington State, but uh, the, the uh, former Washington State uh, football coach in, uh, that preceded Mike Rice, or Mike Rice, Mike Price, well, different, uh, different Mike, was happened to be sitting in the restaurant with Trudy Leiby. And so Jim Walden and his, knife, his wife, Nancy, are sitting there, and they're eating lunch. And I'm just thinking, this is so weird. Like, you've got a judge who's about to determine the fate of Oregon State and Washington State. you got the judge's wife in this cafe. I'm looking, the wife is dining with the former Washington State football coach. They're, they appear to be friends, longtime friends. And then they get up and leave. I didn't say anything. I just watched Trudy leave. And, and then a few minutes later, as we're talking, the pastor and I are talking about his kids, about my kids. The door opens, and a half dozen lawyers dressed in dark suits file into the room. It was the attorneys for the Pac-2 conference, and I recognized them immediately because I knew Eric McMichael and, and uh, Nicholas Goldberg, and I'd seen them before, of course, when they were in court, and I've talked to them. You know, They don't know what I look like, but I know what they look like, and I saw them walk in, and I was like, this is so weird. Like We're at like ground zero for Colfax, Washington, the only restaurant on the Strip that is uh, serving a sandwich or a Cobb salad. And here we have, like, Trudy Leiby, the Washington State coach. Now here come the attorneys. And it wasn't just the attorneys. It was like six attorneys in suits, a bunch of legal clerks. It was like the entire team was coming into this cafe about two hours before the court hearing. And they happened to sit at the very same table that Trudy Leiby and the, and the football coach were sitting at. And I just thought to myself, like, this kind of – emphasizes the small-town atmosphere of downtown Colfax and and how weird it is to be in the middle of this. And, and I don't know if you watched the court hearing. I don't know if you're into that the whole uh, legalities of everything that went on yesterday, but I was really glad that I made the trip to Colfax to see it. There was a lot of flavor. There was a lot of, uh, you know, me watching the reaction of Scott Barnes, the Oregon State Athletic Director, or Pat Chun, the Washington State AD, as they sort of heard the testimony of the attorneys from the University of Washington, which wasn't, you know, all to their liking. Like, the body language was unmistakable. There was one time where Scott Barnes just kind of shook his head and grimaced. Like, how, you know, how dare you say that? And as Washington's attorneys were sort of claiming that, you know, you know hey, we, you know, we, we acted in good faith, more or less. Um, the judge, Gary Leiby, ruled yesterday at the end. He ruled in favor of Oregon State and Washington State. You may know now that just about a half an hour ago, the University of Washington did what they, uh, everybody expected them to do. Um, they filed a motion to stay in the state Supreme Court. They, they, they basically want to put yesterday's ruling on hold, extend the temporary restraining order, allow the Supreme Court in the state of Washington to establish a schedule for a review uh, there's a chance this could end up in Olympia in the Supreme Court. There's a chance this could end up in an appellate court in Spokane. Nobody's surprised that the, the attorneys from the University of Washington are trying to uh, 
trying to, uh, you know, fight this legal battle all the way to the end. But, you know, Oregon State and Washington State, I think I thought they won a nice victory yesterday. And there's going to be more rounds to this thing. And now the question becomes, what should they do? What should they do for the 2024 football season? What should they do beyond that? If they do end up in full control of the conference's board, which they uh, the judge ruled yesterday they should be, if they do, if that if that verdict, if that outcome ends up being upheld by an appellate court or the Supreme Court in the state of Washington, uh, what do Washington State and Oregon State do with the money and with their newfound power? We're going to talk about that a little bit on today's show. We're going to talk about the Washington-Oregon State game that will be going on at the forefront on Saturday, but really felt like it was in the background yesterday. Huskies traveling to Corvallis. Well, they will play the number 11 team in the latest college football playoff rankings, Oregon State Beavers, Jonathan Smith, hosting Washington in a game that is the biggest game of Jonathan Smith's tenure and maybe the biggest game of Kalen DeBoer's tenure at Washington. There is a lot at stake on Saturday and, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of bad feelings still. I can tell you there's bad feelings. I can tell the catharsis when the judge ruled in behalf of Oregon State and Washington State yesterday in that courtroom uh, was difficult to miss. There was no high-fiving. The judge had warned against it. But there was definitely, um, you know, a size of relief and strong handshakes and a little bit of backslapping going on. And then very quickly, the uh, Scott Barnes, Pat Chun, and President Kirk Schultz, the president of Washington State, very quickly pivoted to, hey, this is step one of a long legal battle. But what are they going to do for the football season? What does it mean for Jonathan Smith's tenure at Oregon State? Scott Barnes, the athletic director, told me yesterday after the hearing, he said, quote, we have a plan. And I pushed him on it a little bit, and he said, hey, Jonathan Smith knows what we're going to do. And I think recruits at Oregon State, um, I was talking to Angie Machado today, who runs Beaver Blitz, and recruits at Oregon State are being told that uh, they've got a plan. And that plan is not necessarily relegation to the Mountain West Conference. I laid it out today at johnconzano.com. There's a plan A and there's a plan B. And I want you to tell me, if you're Oregon State, which of these plans sounds better to you? Okay, Plan A, cobble together a football season schedule for 2024. You play Washington State. You play uh, your regular non-conference schedule, including Purdue. You then go out, and there was 41 schools, last I checked, that still had open dates on the calendar. And you get Dave Brown, the scheduling savant, who does all the college football schedules at Gridiron. And you tell Dave, hey, we need a schedule of 12 games. He puts together a schedule, then you turn around and you try to sell that and wring some media rights dollars out of it. And uh, are you selling that to local television? Are you selling that to a, uh, a network? What are you doing with it? Uh, are you piecemealing it together, trying to sell ESPN a couple games, Fox a couple games? I don't know. I, it feels difficult to me, but that's plan A. Plan B, which got more traction, I thought, yesterday in the wake of the verdict in uh, in Whitman County, is simply to form a partnership with Washington State and the Mountain West Conference. Now, remember, as the judge ruled, this is how it sounded. I grew up where conduct spoke louder than words. I mean, that's how my parents treated me, and that's how I treated my children when they were growing up, is that conduct is what counts and words 
don't so much. What you do, how you, what you do and how you do it is what counts in life, not what you say you're going to do, not what you say you're not going to do. So with that in mind, this court uh, finds in favor that the plaintiffs have are likely to prevail on their interpretation of the bylaws. The party's prior course of conduct uniformly supports the plaintiffs, and the plaintiffs will suffer irreparable harm without the preliminary injunction. Now, with the preliminary injunction in effect, that will be in effect, I'm going to order that the WSU and Oregon State will be the only two governing members of the board but if they hold, but for any future meetings or conferences between OSU and WSU, they will notify the other uh, 10 schools. They will put forth an agenda. The other 10 schools may participate in the sense of making comments, suggestions, or objections, but the ultimate voting will be by the remaining two board members. Now, that's Judge Gary Leiby. Immediately after that, uh, I started talking to sources who said, hey, the plan B now feels like the more likely option. Now, all of this is fluid. Keep it in mind. Plan A, cobble together a 12-game schedule. You're already scheduled to play Idaho State in Purdue in non-conference games. I think there's a, a Boise State game or a San Diego State game on there. There's a Mountain West team on there already. But, you know, you cobble together 12-game schedule. You might have to go on the road more than you like. You might not have the TV revenue, but at least you're playing a Power Five-like schedule from a football standpoint. Option B, Plan B for Oregon State and Washington State would be an alliance or a partnership with the Mountain West Conference. I was told by a Mountain West Conference source today that they are in, continue to be in deep discussions they expected some news later this week or early next week, and it felt like the more likely option. I'm not saying it's 100% going to happen, but those are the two paths. You're at a fork in the road. Which one do you take? 503-417-7575 is the, uh, is, the, uh, op- is the phone number there. Now, plan A is cobble together a 12-game schedule, which I'm told can totally be done. Dave Brown, the scheduling savant, said, not a problem. I can put together a 12-game schedule. The question is, can they sell it? Can they monetize it? Can they get the exposure on television that they need? Are they going to have to go on the road more than they like? There's some questions there. Plan B is you're going to play a scheduling partnership with the Mountain West. That probably would include you becoming part of their TV deal for one year, negotiating with Fox and CBS, to get uh, you know four or five million dollars for your college football season, but you'd be playing the likes of San Diego State, Fresno State, Boise State, Colorado State. You still have Purdue in the non-conference. You might be able to pick up one more Power Five opponent because you're going to swap out a Mountain West Conference opponent. But you tell me, which of those two plans do you like better for Oregon State? If those are the two plans, which one keeps your players in the fold? Which one gets you closer to the playoff? Which one? keeps you, I guess, alive and well and bridges you to another year as you try to get your feet underneath you and get all of this court stuff in the rearview mirror. 503-417-7575. All right, today's show, uh, you know, every year in, in November, as part of our 
drive to help kids in the community. The BFT Foundation does an online auction. We also do kind of a mild radio-a-thon component to this thing, component to this thing. And we're doing that again today on the show. If you're somebody who wants to help out and wants to take a look at those auction items, a bunch of VIP auction items, including sideline passes to football games, uh, courtside center court seats to see the Trailblazers at Moda Center, uh, you know, shoe mill VIP shoe experience. If you're looking for a gift for her or for the holidays, great uh, opportunity there. Among other things, uh, you can go to BFTAuction.com. That's BFTAuction.com. Or you can go to BaldFaceTruth.org, and you can check out those auction items, bid on them. The auction opened this afternoon. It will close tomorrow, but I encourage you to get in there, get some early bids in there, uh, let us know what you like, and take a look around. There's a whole bunch of great auction items, and you know, essentially we are helping kids on today's show as well. And if you just like to call in today, and you say, hey, I just like to make a donation. Uh, our friends at the Shoe Mill Shoe Stores have done something really cool on today's show. Here in hour number one, we have a limited number of Shoe Mill gift cards. So here's what we're going to offer for people who want to call in and make a tax-deductible donation. If you make a $50 tax-deductible donation today, you just call in and say, I want to make a $50 donation the Shoe Mill Shoe Stores are going to send you a $25 gift card uh, that will uh, sort of pay you back. It's a high five back from the Shoe Mill family and the Shoe Mill gift stores for making a donation. So if you call in right now at 503-417-7575 and you say, hey, I just want to make a donation, one of our, uh, one of our trustee uh, volunteers will take your credit card information and the Shoe Mill Shoe Stores are going to ship you a Shoe Mill gift card for $25 for every 50 that you donate. So if you give 100, you get 50 back. If you give 200, you get 100 back. So for you get $25 for every 50 that you give and it's just Shoemill's way of saying thank you back for supporting kids and supporting the community. Uh, further beyond that, a company named Biologic Resources in Beaverton has offered that they will match up to $5,000 donated today. So your donation not only gets you a shoe mill gift card, but the value of your donation is doubled. So you have a real opportunity to help kids get something back in return and feel good about it by calling in at 503-417-7575. I appreciate everybody who does that. All right, let's take a little break here. We'll take your phone calls coming up. So much more ahead. we got a great show for you today. Want to take some phone calls? I want to talk to you about what you think Oregon State and Washington State should do next year. Keep in mind, there's a lot of money at stake. You can't just say they should just join the Mountain West Conference. That's not a good option while you're in litigation for what could be as much as $600 million, okay? So don't say, oh, they should just give up and become the Mountain West Conference. That's, not, that's, a, that's insane, there's too much money at stake. They need to see this legal thing out. And right now, they're in the driver's seat on that. But what should they do in 2024? Is it better to try to cobble together a schedule? And Dave Brown at Gridiron, the scheduling savant, says he can do it. Is it better to try to put a schedule together like that? Or do you just create an alliance with the Mountain West and go, look, for a year, 
we're going to play San Diego State and Colorado State and Fresno State, and we're going to try to go undefeated. And there's a non-conference game against Purdue that is in there as well for Oregon State. And there might be another opportunity to pick up a Stanford or a Cal or a Utah or someone else because those schools are going to have open dates. What is the best option? 503-417-7575. If you'd like to make a donation to the Bald Face Truth Foundation, help the 501c3 nonprofit help kids in Oregon and southern Washington, you can also call in at 503-417-7575, and you can make a donation. You make a $50 donation, Shoemill is going to give you a $25 uh, gift card. I also have some Blazers tickets that are center court, section 112, row P. Okay, these are good seats, lower level, to see the Trail Blazers this season. I've got some Blazer tickets here, and here's what I'm going to do with the Blazers tickets. For people who... Uh, would like to go see the Brooklyn Nets come to town on January 17th and play the Trailblazers. I have a pair of tickets in the lower level, Section 112, Row P. First person to donate $300 gets the pair of tickets. That's under value, under face value, and it's under value on StubHub. So 300 bucks, Stephen, you got that? First person. We only have one pair. For the Brooklyn Nets, January 17th, Section 112, Row P. Call now, 503-417-7575. Let's go to the phones. Roy's in Portland. Roy, what should Oregon State and Washington State do? Hey, John, I guess I'm not really understanding. Now, they're, they're fighting over money, revenue for this year? Is yeah, that what they're, they're fighting they, over? Well, here's the thing. Let's say you and me are – you and I are Washington State and Oregon State, okay? Uh-huh. And – there's $420 million coming into the conference this year in revenue. Now, normally you would split that 12 ways, but guess what, Roy? A judge ruled yesterday that you and I are in charge. We have the only two board seats. Now, we're not going to hose everybody because we're just not like that. But if we want to add San Diego State, if we want to try to lure Stanford or Cal back, if we want to try to get Utah out of, out of the Big 12, like you know, we have some options here. We can go shopping. We might keep 75 or 100 million and say let's rebuild this thing rather than just join the Mountain West Conference. So that's where it, that's what's at stake here. I don't see that working, John. I mean, I, I mean, what are the rest of the schools going to do for their revenue for this year? Aren't they entitled? I mean, they're still in the technically still in the Pac-12. Don't they need some money too for this they, year? The rest of the they, schools. The problem is they're, they're they don't have a board seat. So they the Oregon State Washington Oregon State. Like, think of it this way. If UCLA and USC had just left, what would the conference do? They were going to replace them with who? San Diego State and SMU. That was going to cost money. So that was going to come out of everybody's share. So Oregon State and Washington State's argument is, hey, you guys left. We need to replace the divot. And, you know, we, need, we may need to spend some of this money. Not all of it, Roy. I, I think you're right. I think they try to spend it all. They'd end up in the Supreme Court. So, But there's a, there's a chance. What do you do in 24? Do you just... Play a Mountain West Conference schedule, or do you try to put together a schedule and try to go play some big teams? You got to play. I, I just, I don't. You got to get the twenty-four seed. I mean, the twenty-four season will be here before you know it. You got to get this rolling. You have yeah. no more time to delay. You guys got to. You got to play a Mountain West schedule. Uh, you know, cobble that together with the Mountain West. The idea, the plan A, that's not going to. You're gonna. I mean, that's too much time. People are going to want to schedule Oregon State too. Because they're going to say that's a tough team to schedule. If Oregon right. State was a cupcake, yeah, it'd be easy to do Plan A. 
But if they're a tough team to beat, you're not going to get the big boys to schedule them. Uh, so I think your best plan is to go to, uh, you know, uh, go to join the, you know, some type of alliance with the Mountain West. But I, I just don't see how this works in the long run. I don't see I don't see teams coming along to join Oregon State and Washington State. I just don't see that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how they'll survive in the in the in the in the big boy conferences of the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big Twelve. I, I just don't see that working, John, long term. Yeah. I, I don't. The Big Twelve to me, the Mountain West is the only way you can go for the future until unless some Big Twelve or Big Ten yeah. company say, "Hey, we want Washington State and Oregon State." Do you, all right. Let's just keep thinking like you. You and I are Washington State and Oregon State. All right, let's say in 24, we just got to find a bridge. So we're just going to do, let's do that scheduling alliance for 24. Now we're thinking about 2025. Now, we want to keep the Pac-12 brand. Do we, you know, do we like the Pac-12 brand? Even if we're going to take some Mountain West schools, do we keep the brand or do we do we just walk away from the brand? Are people going to still view it as the Pac-12 when, no. you know, no. Oregon is gone no. and you add in San no. Diego State? People are still not going to look at it like that. I don't know, but uh, is it better than Mountain West? I, if you go, if Oregon State joins the Mountain West and they run the table, they can get into the playoffs. I don't see what's the bad thing about the Mountain West. If you go undefeated, <laughs> if you go undefeated in the Mountain West, you'll you be in the playoffs. I, 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 okay. I just don't. I, I don't understand what. I just don't uh-huh. understand what's going on. I think they're just delaying the inevitable and. I don't see how they're going to get all that money, and the rest of the teams aren't entitled to. Yeah, to but some of that money. There's also there's also money that comes in after 2024. So in 2025 and 2026, the conference gets 50 million a year from the Rose Bowl. Now the departing schools are not entitled to that, Roy. So you're going to get 50 million. I'm going to get 50 million. So that's probably wow. that's one thing that's keeping Oregon State and Washington State in the conference is they're going, hey, we don't have the media money. But we've got a hundred million coming from the Rose Bowl, and guess what else? You got you got about sixty or seventy million coming from NCAA tournament revenues that UCLA, Arizona, and Oregon earned. But you and I are going to collect. Hey, John, can I ask you something right quick? What if the yeah. Big Twelve, what if the Big Twelve or some or the Big Ten comes in like tomorrow and say, "Hey, we want Washington State and Oregon State"? Are they going to drop the lawsuit? <laughs> they drop. They would drop the lawsuit, and they'd be gone in a heartbeat. <laughs> okay, so, so this is because they can't get into it. This right. is because they're it's not. Survival. They're not. You know. So if 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 everything worked out for them in another conference, we wouldn't be here right now. Right. right. Amen. We'd be gone. Roy, we shake hands and we go to the Big Twelve or we go to the Big Ten. But I think that's it. Roy's not alone. I'm glad he's asking those questions because I find myself having that conversation on airplanes, and I ha- I have it at the grocery store. And I have it out by the mailbox. And, you know, I've got a neighbor named Tom. He is a diehard Washington fan. He wants to talk about the football game. And uh, everybody else wants to talk about what's going to happen with Oregon State and Washington State. we got to talk both of those things. But I'm glad Roy's asking because you have to think about it from this standpoint. Oregon State and Washington State don't have anywhere to go, okay? So if it's you and I, you the listener and me, and we're Oregon State and Washington State, we are focused on what? We're focused on how do we survive for one, two, three, four years, whatever it's going to take, until there's another round of chaos and more realignment and we have a chance to get into another conference. Okay, so how do we survive? 
How do we build this thing? And so part of it is, what do you do right now in 2024? And re- that's really just a stopgap year. You know, have you ever had to just kind of make, uh, you know, make do with whatever you have? You know, you're going to cook a dinner. It's like a chef knocks on your door and goes, all right, you got to cook a dinner with everything that's in your refrigerator right now. Like, you have to make do. You're not making what you really want. You're just trying to cobble something together. That's where Oregon State and Washington State are for the 2024 football season. And they are running out of time. Roy is right. December 4th, the transfer portal opens. Now, Scott Barnes told me last night, we have a plan, he said. Jonathan Smith knows the plan. The players will know the plan, he said, after the Civil War football game, but before December 4th. So they're going to meet with players after the November 24th game on that Friday that they play Oregon at Autzen Stadium, and they're going to unveil the plan to the players but I think in the interim, like I've been really, I've been knocking on doors and texting and calling, and the the picture I'm getting is that they can put together a schedule for 2024 that is kind of hodgepodge together. There are 41 schools that had open dates. Notre Dame being one of them. Notre Dame has an open date. And Dave Brown, the scheduling savant, told me he could do it. You put a gun to his head, tell him to put a schedule together for those schools. He will make it work. That's what his job is, and he's good at it. He's the guy that can get it done. Secondarily, if they don't do that, do they just say, hey, we're going to keep our non-conference schedule and we'll play some Mountain West games. We'll pick up like six or seven Mountain West games and we'll go to the TV partners in the Mountain West, Fox and CBS, and we'll say, hey, what will you pay us for the extra inventory? Because Oregon State and Washington State are going to play now. And, you know, Fox and CBS might go, okay, we'll give you, we'll give you $10 million for those two schools coming in to the deal. And now at least you have something for 2024. This isn't your long-term plan. This is like survival. This is like, you know, there's a hole in the bottom of the boat. What are we doing? So Oregon State, Washington State have to think in those terms. But, but really, the real money is locked up in this lawsuit. And the potential for Oregon State and Washington State to win the lawsuit, have control of the board, and be able to with a straight face look at the 10 departing schools and go, hey, that $420 million that you thought we were splitting equally, guess what? We need to hold back like $20 million in an emergency fund, and we need to hold back uh, another $50 million because we need to go shopping, and we would like to invite San Diego State, Boise State, Fresno State, Colorado State, and UNLV into our conference Yes, it feels a little Mountain Westy, but this is going to be the best Group of Five conference in America, and our champion is going to be in the college football playoff, automatic qualifier or not. Our conference champion is very likely a top ten ranked team that is playing in the college football playoff. So you tell me, what do you do? Dave is in Tumwater. Dave, welcome to the conversation. Uh, thanks, John. Uh, I have a question about what happened in the courtroom, so I hope I should I do the guess that now or yeah, ask my it. preference Go. for the schedule. Ask away. Uh, so, uh, you uh, your your conversation with the previous caller, you seemed to uh, uh, indicate this, and I was watching online yesterday. It seemed to me that the lawyer representing the University of Washington at some point virtually acknowledged the fact that all of this post 
22-23 revenue is going to go to Oregon State and Washington State. Correct. So therefore, they, they ought not to be too concerned about the 22-23 revenue, though I like your idea of holding some money in reserve. Did I witness that correctly, do you think? You did. And there was a, there was a notable movement in the room when he said that. Like, he, he, he admitted, the attorney just said, well, that's up to Oregon State Washington State. It's going to be their conference. And, and the judge kind of looked up at him when he said that, and everybody looked up. And, and you're right about that, Dave, because, um, it, you know, here's the, another point that was brought up, and I don't know if it came through in the Zoom, was, you know, there's a loss. There's two employees of the Pac-12 that are suing the conference for wrongful termination. And there was a bit of a surprise when it turned out that, hey, the conference owed Comcast a bunch of money. And so Oregon State and Washington State are also a little concerned. You know, they don't want to just split the revenue for this fiscal year. They want to hold some back because they don't know what's going to happen with that lawsuit. And they also are a little concerned that there might be some other surprises. And so, you know, Dave, if you or I are Washington State and Oregon State, we want a little bit of a security blanket there, don't we? Absolutely, John. Here's here's what I would do in that situation. If I were Scott Barnes, Patrick Chun, or the presidents of the universities more appropriately, I'd say everyone's going to take, all 12 are going to take a pro rata reduction, including Oregon State and Washington State. 10% goes into a kind of a liabilities reserve. Another 10%, maybe 20%, goes for future planning. So Oregon State, they take the high ground. Of course, in a sense, Oregon State and Washington State are going to still get that money, but I, I think that's what—that's the only sensible thing to do from a business planning point of view. Everyone gets a, a pro rata reduction, including the loyal two, and then you create these two reserves, one for un, unknown liabilities, the other for future planning. But, John, to answer your question, I'm in favor of what I think you typified as option 1A, and the reason I'm in favor of that rather than you can, you can always, if you like, and I don't really like using this terminology because I agree with the previous caller, you can always fall back to the Mountain West. That option is always going to be there for you. I like what I think you called option 1A, which is to uh, hire that uh, scheduling guru, try to get in maybe uh, Utah, Cal, Stanford, a semblance of the schedule we've had in recent years because that will be the proof in the pudding that the, rec- that the coaching staff and the recruits will like. But one other reason, John, it doesn't necessarily bu- – I'm just a the, – the, the two not only need leverage against the 10, the two need some leverage in their negotiation with the Mountain West because I would maintain when they rebuild the conference, you don't go back all the way to 12. Go to eight, Cougs and Beavs start with. Get to six so you keep your conference status with the NCAA, and then you can kind of take the best of the Mountain West rather than Hawaii yes. and San Jose State. I've got my list if you want me to go through it, John, but that's what I would do. Yeah, I think you're a hundred. You and I are on the same page, Dave. I love that you called in. I think you take the best Mountain West conference teams. You leave Wyoming. You leave San Jose State. You leave New Mexico. Sorry, uh, show business, not show friends. You take the best schools: San Diego State, Air Force. Colorado State, UNLV, Boise State, Fresno State. It's those six. You add them. You're now a conference of eight. You can, with a straight face, argue, hey, we're the best group of five. We should have an automatic qualifier in a 12-team playoff. You can at least make that argument. Leave it here. You got the BFT.
shame on ESPN's College Game Day. Can I say that one more time this week? That ESPN's College Game Day had an opportunity to come to Corvallis on Saturday and see a 10-0 and Washington team. Kalen DeBoer, what a marvelous season. Is there a better season happening anywhere in college football? You could argue that this is the biggest game of the season for Washington. You simultaneously have Oregon State at 8-2. and You've got the court case going on this week in the Pac-12 conference. Drama about what the conference is going to do in 2024. Who's Oregon State going to play? Jonathan Smith, tremendous story. His team, you could argue it's the biggest game of Jonathan Smith's tenure. And you look across the landscape and you see, gosh, the number five team in the college football playoff rankings playing against number 11. This is the biggest game in college football this week. This is the epicenter of college football. And where is ESPN's college game day while that's going on? Well, it decided to turn its back on that game and instead go to Virginia to cover James Madison and Appalachian State. Brought to you by the Jonas Brothers. Look, I used to love ESPN's college game day. thought it was a terrific show. They had great, smart reporters, smart conversation. It was a must-watch on a Saturday morning, on college football Saturday morning. And it wasn't just about the carnival barking that sometimes goes on in those shows. It really was about substance. There were multiple contributors to that show over the years, including Kirk Herbstreet, who brought a highbrow, intelligent, informative, in-depth, sort of background and and really added to the conversation nationally. But that show is now turned into arm wrestling, face painting, crowd surfing, and the Jonas Brothers providing a musical performance. ESPN College Game Day used to be must-watch, and yet this week, with the biggest game in the country going on in Corvallis, Oregon, Game Day decided to turn its back and hide behind the Jonas Brothers. It's outrageous. It's embarrassing, it's hypocritical, and it underscores the idea that ESPN's college game day has lost its fastball. I don't know if you're boycotting, but I find myself more and more tempted to be apathetic about college game day and what they're trying to tell me matters on a Saturday because I frankly find them in the wrong place on a very important November Saturday with the Pac-12 Conference final game at Reeser Stadium, Washington, Oregon State, two Pacific Northwest teams that you could argue are neck and neck this season in college football. The Beavers at home, winners of 17 out of 18. The Huskies with a Heisman Trophy candidate, the leading Heisman Trophy candidate in the country. And ESPN's College Game Day is doing what? They're going to the Sun Belt Conference? I don't blame you if you turn your back on game day. They've lost their place and lost their way this week in college football. Now, simultaneously, if you're Dan Landing and you are going to play your friend Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State, I have a word of warning for the Oregon Ducks coach. Yes, he's your friend. Yes, he's your former colleague. No, Arizona State's nowhere near as talented as Oregon. But if you're Dan Landing, this is absolutely a business trip, and I think he's been preaching that all week for good reason. Because Arizona State has played some teams very tough this season. They played USC tough. 
They won a week ago in a way that nobody thought they could against Chip Kelly and UCLA. Kenny Dillingham can coach, and he can get his guys to play. Now, he doesn't have great players. Doesn't have what Oregon has. Doesn't have the brand. Doesn't have Phil Knight. Doesn't have the recruiting classes. If Kenny Dillingham gets them, look out, because he's a very creative coach. He's inspired his teams, and Oregon is absolutely justified in showing up for this road game, and the road's always dicey in the Pac-12, against Arizona State, knowing that it's going to be another challenge for the Ducks. Now, Oregon wins this game 10 times out of 10, but I would caution Duck fans out there that think this is going to be a pushover to go back and look at the Washington-Arizona State film and look how ordinary Arizona State made Michael Penix Jr. look. This is a tough out in a deep conference. And if you want evidence that the Pac-12 is the deepest, best conference in the country, you look no further than the Arizona State-Oregon game taking place this weekend because it does sort of underscore the idea that, you know, the ninth best team in a 12-team conference can give Washington and Oregon every bit of trouble on a given day. So, yes, Dan Lanning saying this is a business trip, that this is a team that they respect. Those are all the right messages because Arizona State has got a puncher's chance in most games. Now, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, we're going to visit with Christian Capel. He covers the University of Washington. He's on that beat. For those of you who are interested, I have more Blazers tickets to give away in the next hour to uh, generous donors of the BFT Foundation. We're raising money for kids today. You want to check out the online auction items. It's bftauction.com. You can go to the website. You can see all those great auction lots. Uh, Kelly Graves, Oregon Ducks women's basketball coach, is offering a VIP behind-the-scenes experience. You get to go into the locker room, hear the pregame speech. You get to sit courtside. All of that at bftauction.com. And if you want to make a donation, you can do it right now at 503-417-7575. You give $50, Shoemill's giving you $25 back. Do it now. For those of you who want to help kids in southern, uh, southwest Washington and certainly in the state of Oregon, the BFT Foundation has been around since 2009, helping kids in art, music, education, and athletics. Camp Exceptional, the summer camp for special needs and typical kids, is a highlight of my summer every year. See the campers growing up over the last 10 or 11 years. It's been awesome, but it's only possible with your support. We're raising money today and tomorrow. If you want to check out the auction lots, you can go to bftauction.com or go to baldfacetruth.org. If you want to look at the auction lots, including VIP experiences, including one of them is Grant McComey from KGW. You get to, the winner of that auction lot gets to go on KGW as part of one of Grant's getaways. He does those great outdoor features. He goes fishing. He goes hunting. Go with Grant McComey and go on a Grant's getaway and you get to be a TV star. You know, that would make a great Christmas gift for somebody who's an outdoors person or a fan of Grant McComey. Good good gift for your dad, your brother, one of your co-workers, your significant other. I'm just saying. You normally say these are experiences you can't buy, but in this case, today on the show, you really can. You go to bftauction.com, sideline passes, for a Washington State home football game next season against Portland State, 
you and a friend get to go on the sideline at a game. Boise State fan, are you out there? We've got sideline passes to a Boise State game next season in Boise, Idaho against Portland State. Get on the field, on the blue turf, on the sideline. BFTauction.com. And if you want to make a tax-deductible donation right now, you can do it by calling 503-417-7575. And the Shoe Mill Shoe Stores are giving you a $25 gift card to be used at shoemill.com or inside any of their stores. $25 gift card for every $50 that you donate. So make a $50 donation, get a $25 gift card. Make a $100 donation, get $50 in gift cards. 503-417-7575. Our next guest, Christian Capel. He's been on some sidelines this season. He has literally been with uh, the Washington Huskies, one of the best stories in college football. They are undefeated. Christian Capel's work is undefeated. OnMontLake.com is the website. It's his baby. He's writing about the Huskies. You picked a good time to cover this team and make it your baby, man. What a what a magical run it's been. Yeah, it uh, it sure worked out, didn't it? I was um, the, the only the only thing is I didn't pick it, but I I certainly couldn't have <laughs> picked a, a better time if it had been up to me. Um, I was talking with someone the other day, like. Is there any time literally in the history of the program that would have been uh, a better time to start doing what I've been doing? I've, I've been very fortunate. Really fun to watch. There have been some close calls. In your mind, the game that was the closest call for Washington this season to this point? I think it's Arizona State. Definitely Arizona State. Um, that was the only one of those sort of – yeah, they should have won by more type of games where at, at uh, a pretty late point in the second half, I was starting to think that they were not going to win that game. Um, you've got the, the pass interference call against Washington that gets picked up, and that's followed by a pick six, and, you know, the game completely turned on that play. But, man, they were just getting nothing done offensively. Uh, come to find out later, Michael Penix Jr. was pretty sick that game. I don't think he was the only one. They had some injuries on the interior O-line. Arizona State had an awesome game plan. They were pressuring like crazy up the middle, and the Huskies were just not getting a lot done. They turned the ball over four times. It just seemed like um, if it wasn't one thing, it was something else, and it was just kind of one of those games where, wow, it really feels like ASU is going to get them. But it was the first in a, in a series of weeks where they just found a way to, to get by. Christian Capel with us. Uh, the, the Huskies will go to Racer Stadium. This is a big challenge, and I think an opportunity for Washington to validate itself. Michael Penix Jr. is certainly in the Heisman race. How is Kalen DeBoer handling that right now, handling sort of the stakes of this game? Yeah, I mean, to, to hear them tell it and to hear him tell it, I think it's um, it's all the same, right? They they preach a, a 1-0 and mindset, right? Go 1-0 and at this day's practice rep and 1-0 and in the weight room and 1-0 and uh, when, you, when you get out there on Saturday and play a football game. So, you know, I think, um, I think they've got data. Like we were just talking about the ASU games, the Stanford game that, hey, anybody – can get you if you don't come to play. So the number 11 team in the country with an 8-2 and two record playing at home with everything still on the line, they're still playing for a Pac-12 championship game. The stakes are, are as high as really they've ever been for both teams, you know, talking about a game between Washington and Oregon State. So, um, I, you know, I, I think they pride themselves on keeping everything the same. They do mix in 
you know, some historical acknowledgement when they accomplish things that haven't been done by a lot of teams in program history. So they're 10-0 and for the second time ever. The 1991 team that went undefeated and split the national championship is the only team to have ever done that at Washington. Um, I, I would imagine that that would be something that would get a quick mention. I know last year, going into the Alamo Bowl against Texas, um, you know, a carrot that they kind of dangled out was, hey, you know, you got a shot to win 11 games. And there had only been four teams in school history that had won 11 games before. So you heard some players talk about that in a way that made pretty clear that, you know, that was something that Kalen DeBoer and the coaching staff kind of put in front of them. So I think they do kind of acknowledge the stakes that way uh, while still kind of just emphasizing that, hey, you you won 10 games by sticking to the process and doing things a certain way, and, and that's how you want to do it this week as well. Christian, I think, you know, Kalen DeBoer is going to see – Oregon State's defense, he's going to talk about how physical they are. But one area where I see that Washington could really hurt Oregon State is down the field. They'll give up some big plays. I expect there, there'll be some home runs in this game. How healthy is that vertical pass game right now, uh, and, and how good is it right now? You get to see it all the time. Yeah, you know, they. Um, I think there was a little bit of frustration against Utah. I think Romo Dunze had... 11 targets and he caught three passes but those three passes added up to 111 yards and, and two touchdowns so they there were some shots they took of course there were some some holding and pass interference penalties that they got called that helped to I think Odunze would tell you maybe a, a couple that didn't get called as well but um, I, I, I think that teams have kind of adjusted a little bit to to maybe back off and give them some of the underneath stuff and try to take away some of that you know, those, those real dangerous um, single coverage downfield shots, and, and they've responded by running the ball really well in recent weeks. Dylan Johnson went for 256 yards against USC and 104 yards against Utah, and so um, I think they feel pretty good about their balance. You know, Romo Dunze and Jalen Polk, they've been very fortunate to, to have those guys healthy all year. Odunze's over 1,000 yards. Jalen Polk is, is probably going to get there. If not this week, then then next week he's less than 100 yards away. If they can get Jalen McMillan back healthy, um, that would be a, a real important piece. He hasn't played really significantly since he got hurt against Michigan State in week three. He was back in uniform against Utah. I think he played six snaps. You know, it wasn't going to be a game where he played a lot and got the ball thrown his way, but they got him going a little bit, and he didn't have any setbacks. So I'm, I'm curious to see if he might be a little bit more part of the game plan this week. Christian Capel with us on Montlake.com. He is the guy when it comes to covering University of Washington football. What scares you about uh, Oregon State if you're Washington? Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be the pass rush, right? They're tied for the conference lead, I believe, in sacks, and um, they've got some some pretty good edge rushers. They play, you know, I, we were talking about this earlier. Um, they remind me of Utah just in the sense that you know what you're going to get. You know that it, the personnel almost doesn't matter to a certain extent. They're going to have guys who play 100% all the time, who are really physical. They're going to hit you. They're going to they're going to play with attitude. They're going to try to to make you play their style, um, and and it's going to be that way whether you, whether you win the game or lose it. So, you know, I, I think um, their their pass defense has maybe been a little bit better than I expected, just considering some of the guys that they've lost. But like you said, they'll they'll give up the big play. Um, you, you look up and down their schedule, There's there's been some you know, kind of surprising numbers from time to time, right, giving up 40 points to Cal. And, and so I'm sure Washington sees some opportunities there. But, yeah, I mean, 
I think back to that Arizona State game, and that showed that look, if you can if you can consistently get pressure on Michael Penix Jr. and you know force them to to make quicker throws and get a hand in the passing lane, maybe bat a couple balls down, you know, get your hand on a, a pass that gets tipped and intercepted, and those sort of things. That havoc in the backfield can really cause problems. So uh, I would imagine that um, that they're really going to be trying to, to push those edges and get after him. Now, I, I feel kind of silly asking this because Washington's undefeated, but this game feels huge for Oregon State. Oregon State is searching for validation, wants to stay relevant, has no conference to be in next year. It is that stuff at all swirling or on Washington's mind that there's a little bit extra in this game for Oregon State? You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets mentioned at some point. And, you know, those guys those guys are on social media. They know what's going on. They, they, they're aware of the situation that the Washington's in with regard to their conference affiliation and the way things are changing. And, and you know, I don't know that, that everybody's super plugged into the, the battle in the in the court, courtroom in Colfax that, that you were, were privy to yesterday. But, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that comes up. But, you know, I think everybody mostly probably just remembers last year's game in Seattle and that you know that was a game Washington had to win 24 to 21 on a late field goal and really bad weather and you know against a really tough defense and and you know I don't know how many opposing defenses since Kalen DeBoer has been there have have been as successful of, as Oregon State was last year keeping the score down against Michael Penix Jr. and those receivers so um, yeah I'm sure they they remember how hard fought that game was Oregon State had a defensive touchdown in that game right so um yeah, I, I think more than anything, they just respect the opponent. They know how good that program is. Christian Capel with us. Michael Penix Jr., you, know, you mentioned him being sick. I thought he was hurt at some point of the season. I don't know. How has he looked to you maybe in the last game and a half or two? Yeah, I, I think he's looked healthy. Um, and, you know, they had him um, – They had him. he scored a touchdown on a quarterback sneak. He scored a touchdown on a uh, – uh, inside zone or an outside zone play where he was he was the back carrying it with Dylan Johnson as the lead blocker. They had you know they had him keep the ball on a, a read option play. He's been sacked a couple times and got right back up. So um, I know there was some speculation kind of about well maybe you know is it something with his ribs? He took a couple shots in that Oregon game and they said he was cramping, but you know was was there something else? Are they are they protecting him? Um, the illness thing does uh, does add up. You know, he had those two games, ASU and Stanford, where you know, even talking to him afterwards, you could tell he had that uh, kind of had that head cold congestion type of voice going on. You know, and and um, that's gone away. And I think you've seen him operate in a way that just looked more normal. He's looked himself. He hasn't put up the the biggest biggest numbers like against USC even but um, you know that was because they were running the ball so well right so I just think the way he's carried himself and, and the way they've been willing to to kind of put the ball in his hands a couple different times suggests to me that he's feeling okay I was looking at back at the Oregon game Oregon came out of that Washington game focused Washington didn't play as well what do you think was going on there was there a psychological let letdown, an emotional letdown? Was it just hey, different opponents? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure there's always some of that. Um, I, I think ASU just got after him. I mean, if you watch that game, Penix was really you know running for his life. They bothered him a lot. I think they batted down three passes, and you know they had weird they had guys fumbling who 
don't fumble, right? It's kind of the same thing against Stanford. They, their defense did not play well against Stanford. Um, they were pretty thin at safety. They still are because of some injuries. Stanford definitely took advantage of that. They didn't tackle well. I mean, this just hasn't been a team that has tackled well all season. You watch them play against Oregon. That, that was a problem that day for sure. So, you know, I, I think um, I don't know if it was let down so much as, as just not finishing when they had opportunities to. I mean, even against Stanford, you know, they, they got lucky sort of with a big fourth down drop by Stanford in that game when they, they could have held on to the ball and milked the clock and maybe drove for a game-winning field goal. But, you know, Washington had back-to-back possessions with red zone turnovers in that in that fourth quarter too late in that game so you know just there's been there's been drives possessions big moments here or there where even though they've won all those games they had an opportunity to put them away a little bit sooner than they did were you surprised the spread shifted the way it did i mean it opens with washington two and a half three-point favorite and very quickly move the opposite direction that raised eyebrows It, it did surprise me it did surprise me um you know obviously Oregon State's good. You know, they could they're capable of beating anybody in the conference. They're uh they're a top ten team in the in the AP poll this week and, and for good reason. And you know, they probably feel like, hey, you're a player two here or there away from, from being undefeated themselves. So, you know, it's not like anybody would be just stunned if Oregon State won this game, but you know, being ten and zero and having won seventeen straight and having taken care of Oregon at home and, and having, you know, beaten three ranked opponents and another USC on the road that was, you know, we all know is, is pretty talented, at least offensively. Um, yeah, to be an underdog this late in the season, um, even on the road, I, I, I am a little bit surprised. I I would have expected, and, you know, I think what it did open at, like Washington minus one or, or, or one and a half, somewhere in that range. Um, I would have expected it to move the other way a little bit. But you can, you can see that the, the money's on Oregon State, it seems. We're talking to Christian Capel on Montlake.com, covers Washington football. Kalen DeBoer, uh, you know, I think Oregon State fans are a little worried about losing Jonathan Smith, but what has the conversation been like in the last 48 hours in your circle as it pertains to his job security, commitment to Washington, the potential to be poached, all of that? Yeah, I mean, Washington fans definitely want uh, to see a contract extension or a new contract done sooner rather than later you know i think that would be a a really big sigh of relief the day uh, assuming it comes the day that that news you know pops into your twitter feed that hey you know washington's agreed to a new deal paying him more um you know his his uh current salary this year is 4.2 million it increases going forward and and there's retention bonuses built in and everything but i mean the fact is he's 44th among FBS head coaches at public schools in, in annual salary this year. So obviously, you know, that needs to be addressed. That needs to change. I would guess they probably need to get him up into the seven to eight million per year range. Um, I know that, uh, that that's a priority for new athletic director Troy Dan and Kalen DeBoer said as much on Monday that, you know, he's been proactive about coming to him and, and getting talk started on a deal. So I'm sure they want to get that done. Um, as soon as they can and, and get it done to Kalen DeBoer's satisfaction, not just for him, but also for the rest of that staff, right? They, they increased their investment in their assistant salary pool um, by a, a pretty significant number this last offseason. They're top 10 in the country in assistant pay, so you know, I'm sure they want to continue that commitment and, and increase that commitment and get him, get him locked in and feeling good about his situation before you know a, a job somewhere else comes open that, 
that might be enticing if, if he's not locked into a deal that, uh, that him and his representation feel like is commensurate with um, his place in the market right now. Who's, like, in Washington fans' minds, is it a bigger threat that Jen Cohen at USC has an opening and she turns to DeBoer, or is it some other job? Well, I think if USC opened for whatever reason, and I mean, what's the most realistic way that the Lincoln Riley leaves for the NFL? Is that is that probably what it yeah, would be? Probably, uh, yeah. I, I think that would make people up here quite nervous. Um, you know, it would, and I I say that not because I have any particular knowledge of Kalen DeBoer's desire or or lack of desire either way to, to coach at USC, but. Like you just said, I mean, it's it's a pretty easy to draw the line from USC has an opening. Jen Cohen is USC's AD. Jen Cohen hired Kalen DeBoer and and thinks very highly of him and, and knows how uh, knows how unique he is. Um, yeah, I mean that I think that would make people up here real nervous, especially if something like that were to happen, you know, before he signs a new contract. Um, and I think you know Husky fans also have their eyes on Michigan and and what's going to happen there. What's going to happen with Jim Harbaugh? He looked real hard at the NFL last year, and now you've got the sign-stealing scandal and the suspension, and there sounds like there's going to be some sort of legal activity, and you know that's a whole mess. What's what's going to happen with Jim Harbaugh? What's going to happen with Michigan? Uh, I think that's uh, that's the other the other job, the other school that Husky fans have their eyes on. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of Jonathan Smith fans at Oregon State are watching DeBoer going, "Hey, if that domino goes." Washington's first call is—is is it Jonathan Smith? Is it someone else? Yeah, I mean, I would have to think he'd be pretty high on the list, right? I mean, I know some of the names that circulated last time um, when they had an opening after the 2021 season. I don't think Smith and Oregon State were quite there just yet. That was a good year for them, right? They got back to a bowl game that season, and that was—that um, was really proof at Oregon State that things were working and that they had it moving in the right direction and that, you know, now they could really start to plot and scheme about something even better than just getting to seven wins and, and making it back to a bowl game. But I don't know that Smith was yet to the point where he'd be, you know, on the short list for Washington, whereas now, yeah, I mean, they won 10 games last year. He's got a, a top 10 type of team this year. Um, you know, I, I think he would certainly be in the conversation, but you know, also change of AD, right? Troy Dannon comes in with a, a different network and, and all those sorts of things. So it would be uh, it'd be interesting to sit down and, and put that list together should it come to that. Christian Capel on Montlake.com. Appreciate you joining us, man. Good stuff. I will see you in the press box Saturday. Do you have a prediction? You probably like Washington. I mean, you've seen them win all season. But uh, do you have a prediction? Yeah, I mean, I, I probably am going to pick Washington. Um, I, I felt like the game at USC, I mean, post-Oregon, the game at USC was probably going to be their toughest challenge just because of how dynamic the Trojans are offensively. And, you know, that game played out for USC offensively kind of the way I thought it would, right? They gave up 42 points, but but they were able to score 52 and, and get out of there with a win. So, um, you know, I think it will be decided by seven points or less. Uh, but I, I probably will pick Washington. Christian Capel, there he is, on his way. I'm leaning towards Oregon State. How do you pick against Oregon State in a game like Saturday? Steven, where are you leaning in that game? 
Right now, I'm leaning Oregon State. The home field advantage is just so big at Racer Stadium. And it being the last, you know, this is very narrative-driven, but being the last Pac-12 game, I, I got to think Oregon State's going to be just so psyched and so hyped for this game. They're going to bring something to the table. We'll see what happens. I think Oregon State's going to be flying around. All right, I, I promised you some Blazer tickets. I've got them. Uh, here's our next opportunity. Uh, the Blazers will be playing against the Minnesota Timberwolves on February 13th. I've got two seats in Section 112, Row P. Uh, we are asking for a $300 tax-deductible donation to the BFT Foundation. First person to make the $300 donation gets the tickets as well. 503-417-7575. If you want to make a donation of $50 or more, the Shoe Mill Shoe Stores will give you a $25 gift card as well. Same phone number, 503-417-7575. Anna's popped into the studio. I got to tell you, um, last night I, I left Spokane, Washington for Seattle on an Alaska Airlines flight, and I, I, got, called to the, uh, I got called to the ticket counter um, prior to... Uh, Prior to the flight, they said, uh, can the Portland passengers come up here? And I, so I go up there and they say, hey, uh, you might not make your connection. And uh, and so um, I... Uh, That's always fun, you know, to have that, like yeah. a pre, pre-game huddle yeah. before the flight yeah. to hey, get that kind of news. Listen, they called you know? me and they called some guy who was going to Philadelphia. <laughs> and they said, hey, you might not make your connection, <laughs> but we think you're better off being stranded in Seattle than Spokane. More options in the morning if you don't okay. make it. So it's right. just like, you know, last night at about 8 o'clock, mm-hmm. all right? I'm in Spokane. I drove from Colfax to Spokane after writing my column through the fog, by the way. Yeah. Get there to the airport, turn in my rental car, go to the end of the airport, pass the rental counter, and the guy goes, where's the keys? I said, I left them in the car. He says, I need them. And I had to go back out to the parking lot. Oh, I didn't even know that Get the detail. keys out of the car. Yeah. I don't tell you everything. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, and then uh, I get to the gate, and they say, you might not make your connection. And uh, Just the news you want to hear at 8 o'clock yeah. at night. And so I said, okay, what's it going to be? And they said, well, you're going you're gonna to come into gate N13 mm-hmm. at the Seattle airport. And as luck would have it, your flight is at N4. That sounds close to me. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. That sounds like a breeze. It's nine gates away. Yeah. Come on. So I... Uh, <laughs> I'm clock watching the whole time going, okay, I'm down to like 15 minutes to make the connection when we land. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm going to have to hustle because they're going to close that door yep. when they close that door. And so I, I luckily was towards the front of the plane. I get off the plane. I just started kind of running, <laughs> shamelessly running. And I, We got a runner. Yeah. So and I realized, as I, I realized that the gates, the numbers were not in the direction that I thought they were going to be in. Oh. So, like, no, when I, I started running from 13, uh-huh. and it went 11, 9, <laughs> and then there was a food court. Oh. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I was like O.J. Simpson in the Hertz commercial that, oh. before he started killing mm-hmm. people. Okay. I was, you know, he was just Allegedly. in the commercial uh-huh. jumping over suitcases and stuff. Yeah. And so I, I was, I'm in the middle of a food court now, and I'm going, <laughs> and I see a th- sign that says N11 through 4. Uh-huh. And then I realized, like, I'm going to have to count down all the way to four. Yeah. I'm Now I'm running, okay? 
and I'm dodging people running, and I'm you know it's seven, yeah, gate five. And then I can see the door still open. I got a shot. Mm-hmm. You know the guy's not moving towards it. I get to the gate. I'm out of breath. Yeah, I'm, you like you FaceTimed me in the midst of this. No, no, I no, I like, didn't. I didn't FaceTime oh, you in the no? midst of it. No. You fa- what? When did you I, FaceTime? After me? I checked through the door and I was walking down the gateway, oh, the jetway. Okay. Then I FaceTimed you. I couldn't speak. <laughs> I just FaceTimed you to show you I had made it. Yeah. I proof of life. No. Okay. And my response as your wife is like, get off of FaceTime, gather yourself, catch your breath, yeah. and don't have a coronary, please. Well, like, just survive this flight home i realized that i didn't have to <laughs> run because yeah. i got on the plane i sat down mm-hmm. and then i waited about seven minutes before before they closed the door you could have sunk. i could have just walked i could have got a jamba you, you know yeah could have just done uh, meandered my way through the airport you know what though i appreciate that i appreciate yeah. that you wanted to get home well i did want to get home and you weren't looking for like an extra night away no. in seattle good night of sleep no i uh <laughs> I in the morning though I wake up at about six to a message from Dan Patrick's producer. Yeah, and he's going, "Can we get you on this morning at eight o'clock?" Mm-hmm. And we want you to talk about the Pac-12 conference thing. And I'm like, "Okay, that's okay." Todd Fritz, Fritzy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's saying we'd like to have you on. And I said, "Okay, that's that's cool." And you know, but I have to look awake. You know, and so I uh, got all, you know, got ready for this thing. And I'll tell you what's cute about this whole thing. I finish. I'm in the studio that I'm in now where I do the radio show. I finished the call with Patrick and I'm on, you know, I got lighting and cameras and everything on me that he wanted. And uh, I go into the house and there's a delay of like 20 or 30 seconds on those shows. More than that. And I I find Anna in the living room. With her phone out, videotaping the TV like she's Aunt Trudy, no, you know, and her nephew is on the TV screen. <laughs> In this moment of, you are immensely proud. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Well, it's not every day that you're on Dan Patrick, although you have been on and you've hosted before, but I... I still think that's that's pretty cool. That like you know how that happens, right? Cuz we know how that happens in a newsroom. Yeah. Where they're in a production meeting and they go, "Oh, hey, we should probably talk about, you know, this thing that happened with the Pac-12 versus the Pac-2, who should we talk to?" And like Fritzy told me that. I think He's, that's really cool. He said that in their meeting, he said, "You came up in our meeting, we got to have you on." And he doesn't even ask like, "Will you come on?" It's not even the <laughs> tone of the email. Yeah. yeah. He's like, "Here's the link." The Zoom link. Wow. Yeah. You know, 8.05, we'd love to have you on. Here's the link. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It's like, if it's you're not with a, the Dan Patrick show. It's not you're busy. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you should be booking guests. It's like when you put the pen team. on the signature line. Like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Put it right there. Absolutely. Here's how you sign. Totally. It's like when the server comes to the table and says, was everything great? You know? <laughs> There's not a, how was everything? Or when you yeah. go to a restaurant now. And the only option for tipping is like, you know, on the little uh, device is like 20, 25, 30%. There's not even a 15%. You know what I hate? The ones that do, they'll do, uh, they'll do 18 and they'll do 22. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just skip right over 20. What happened to 20? (laughs) Is 20 no, like, because you're, it should just say cheap. 
<laughs> or 22. Do they not have the custom options for you? Yeah, yeah but then you got to stay there. Work. Then you got to stay there for longer. The custom option. It's a, it's are... a brilliant uh, like oh, really yeah. device because most of us are looking for the quickest, easiest transaction possible. So most of us aren't going to stand there and like look for the custom button and then try to figure out because then there's also a shame factor. If they're standing there yeah. staring at you, no you're like, you're like, let me spend a little more time trying to figure out how to give you less. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you're home. That whole fog thing kind of sketched me out. I, uh, it's hard. Like for anyone who has a loved one who travels, you know, when they're flying through a dicey situation like that, like I wish I could just roll over and go to sleep and be like, all right, see you in the morning, whatever, but I can't. So I'm like literally tracking the flight and looking at its elevation, making yeah. sure that, you know, it's, it's not going to help though. Getting to cruising altitude. And if the plane's going down, there I is, know. you you knowing the speed the airspeed is not going to keep the plane in the air well you know what would help is for you to not tell me that there's a whole bunch of fog and like dicey conditions and that they had to switch out the captain or the pilot like to get one with more experience who could fly through the dense fog and uh and, and make that flight safe well um how about that just let me live in ignorant bliss the thanks flying in the fog doesn't sketch me out because as you pointed out, that's what radar is for. Well, yeah, that's what the logic would do. But I had no idea that pilots w- did not all have the ability to fly in, like, fog conditions. I thought you were joking about that. No. They, they literally had to switch somebody out. The pilot was, here's this pilot, we're on the tarmac, and this was the outbound flight going to Spokane in the morning. Yeah. And the pilot says, we're going to wait a half an hour for the fog to clear so we can get clearance to land. He didn't say, hey, I'm a junior pilot. I'm not allowed to fly in fog conditions. I need a certain ceiling. He mentioned yeah. a ceiling. There was okay. a ceiling in there. I was like, there's a ceiling on the sky? I had no idea. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I thought the sky just went forever. And so he mentions this ceiling. <laughs> Anyone with flight experience is just yeah. yelling at the radio. Yeah, and he, so he says, you know, flight pilots out there, help me out on this. He says he didn't. Like, they they buried this for about 15 minutes. Uh-huh. We wait for, like, the fog to clear. Yeah. I'm like, we're at the mercy of Mother Nature right now. We're not going to get into Spokane. I'm going to miss this hearing. And so, um, but I, you know, I was still going. I got a couple hours. You know, I got a wide berth here. So, all of a sudden, he comes back on. And he says, uh, you know, we're going to switch out pilots because we have a pilot who's got the ability to fly with a lower ceiling. And all of a sudden, I was, like, Googling, you know, like, and and I watched, and the pilot who got on was an older guy. Okay. So, apparently, yeah. Yeah. if you're a pilot, like a commercial pilot, uh huh, you have the ability, you have to... Um, Maybe there's tiers. Yeah. Know, that you gotta... You gotta have, you know, certain numbers. But see, even that still confuses me, because it's like, I understand if we're talking about a small plane... That is, you know, just a smaller aircraft where visibility is an issue. And again, this is just demonstrating Kobe Bryant, Anna. My stupidity. Kobe Bryant. Well, that was a helicopter. Yeah, but you right. you get disoriented if you're not an experienced pilot. You get disoriented. But again, for like a commercial airline flight, that's what the radar's for, right? But I, but 
having radar, you could still lose your own orientation in the sky, and suddenly you're, you know, I guess that your instrument panel would tell you you're in a, you're in a dive. But I guess you have to be able to see the runway. But this you know? dude came in, and I thought, you know, this is interesting. <laughs> Let's watch what he does. And so I flipped the, uh, I flipped the window shade up. Yeah. And I was like, damn, I can't see a thing. Uh-huh. Like I could not fly through this. Yeah. Apparently, I, I wouldn't be cleared. Mm-hmm. But he landed it. But he came down at quite an angle. Yeah. Too. And he like, did- is he? But that's the thing. Is like, where did they get him from? Like, do they, you know, one eight hundred dial a pilot? Like, they just like call him up. It's the lefty in the bullpen. He had on a, uh, I, what I think happened is he was probably on another Alaska flight that was going out of the same terminal, and, they, and Alaska Airlines went, hey, we have Bob over here yeah. who's done this before. Mm-hmm. Let's get, Ma- I actually think it was Maverick. Let's get Maverick. Maverick yeah. Let's get Maverick over here on this flight to Spokane, and let's yeah. swap yeah. and have the, uh, have the rookie fly over to Boise. Yeah. And I think that I think they swapped the pilots. Buzz the tower on the way out. Yeah, mm-hmm. they. But when he flew in, I got to be honest with you, he did come in as an incline. Yeah, like he cut through the layer of you know what do they yeah. call what do they call that the cloud layer? What do they call that? <laughs> the cotton candy. What are the pilot? What's that? What's the terminology in the oh, aircraft word, the world for that? Person. You know the cloud. Steven, cover. I'm sure Stephen will know. Where are all my pilots? No, wrong people. Where are my pilots? Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, it was one of those moments, because I've asked you before, like, should I get my pilot's license? Absolutely not. And you were like, I've covered numerous <laughs> crashes and landings of these amateur pilots who think they know what they're doing in the sky. No, I mean, if, if that's what you do and that's your hobby, God bless you. Uh, enjoy it. Do it well. Do it safely. But I just, I don't know. It, uh, I can't, can't have you out there doing that. Yeah. Sorry. Well, that's a deal breaker. Corey says it's a marine layer. A marine but layer. But that's an ocean thing, Corey. Come on, we're not talking about boats. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> All right, listen. Uh, we have the BFT Foundation fundraiser going on today. You can go online to bftauction.com if uh, you are interested in uh, placing a bid on any of the VIP auction lots. Anna, your favorite lot right now is? Um, you want like a VIP lot or like just my favorite lot in general? Because I think, okay, let's talk about the Oregon Ducks women's basketball team. Because I think this is so cool. This is four courtside tickets to an Oregon Ducks women's basketball regular season game. You get a backstage pass to the pre-game chalk talk with Coach Kelly Graves. And you get to meet the team in the locker room and you get a tour of Matthew Knight arena like there's gotta be somebody out there with a big basketball fan in their life maybe even an oregon ducks women's basketball fan and this would be a perfect gift for them um over the holidays all right so you go to bftauction.com if you want to place a bid on that and uh win that and give that away to somebody uh one of the things i like is the hillsborough hops vip first pitch adventure includes tickets to the game and guess what? Somebody in your party gets to throw out the first pitch at a Hillsborough Hops game. Do you have a significant other, a parent, a relative, a friend, a nephew, a brother, a sister, who you think would just relish the opportunity to throw out the first pitch at a professional baseball game? Hillsborough Hops are offering that opportunity. You can, you can bid on that auction item as well at bftauction.com. bftauction.com. Now, Stephen... Uh, 
pairs of tickets to the Blazers. We've been doing this throughout the show. Uh, where do we stand uh, in the last um, in the last uh, little bit ago? We uh, we talked about giving away tickets to somebody who was making a donation. Are the Minnesota Timberwolves tickets gone? Uh, yes, the Minnesota Timberwolves tickets are gone, as well as the Brooklyn Nets. Okay, okay. so we have two tickets. Center Court, Section 112 at Moda Center, February 27th against the Miami Heat, February 27th. So these are tickets to be like a nice gift or an opportunity to take somebody to a game. February 27th game. Section 112, Row P, we are asking for a $400 donation for the pair of tickets. That is under StubHub value, under face value for those tickets against the Miami Heat. $400 donation, 503-417-7575. First caller to make that donation to the BFT Foundation gets the tickets, too. How about them, Apples? And if you'd like to make a $50 or more donation... You will get a Shoe Mill gift card for $25. For every $50 you donate, Shoe Mill and the Hubbard family, they have uh, supported the BFT Foundation since the inception. They every year come up and say, hey, how do we help out? How do we incentivize? How can we help make this a bigger success? And they're just saying to you, they're going to give you a fist bump. If you make a $50 donation to the BFT Foundation today, they're going to give you a $25 gift card. You can do that. At 503-417-7575, get the Miami Heat tickets or make a donation now. I want to thank the team at Biologic Resources. They are offering uh, to match the first $5,000 donated as part of today's and tomorrow's fundraiser for the Bald Face Truth Foundation. If you want to bid on any of those online auction items, you can go to bftauction.com or baldfacetruth.org and just click through on the auction link. Uh, one of the auction lots that does not yet have a bid is flying a little bit under the radar is Trailblazers courtside seats. These are literally row one center court seats owned by Harvey Platt, who has been a Blazers season ticket holder since the inaugural season. He's got the best seat in the house. Center court, row one, right behind the scorer's table, these are the best seats, VIP service. You got your own server. You get your own VIP parking pass. You sit courtside. You can hear the squeak of the sneakers and the conversations going on on the benches. You can go to bftauction.com if you want to place a bid. There are no bids on that right now, and I think it's because people don't quite understand how special that auction lot is. Anna, can we talk Chip Kelly for just a second? I, I almost... Um, had one of those moments in the pre-show run-up as I'm prepping for the show and I'm about to light everything up. The lights are going on, the camera's going on, all this, the microphone's going on, and I looked at the computer in front of me. I have two computers in front of me, and one of them is connected to Stephen's computer that he has in front of him downtown. Mm-hmm. And oh Well, it's, or I guess it's in the studio next to you. You know, is that right? No, yeah, it's it, it, it's in my studio. I see it right here. Uh, yeah. Okay, and so I'm able to see kind of what you're looking at when it comes to like the sound and the audio that could be played during the show. And there happened to be this page that was open, and it said Chip Kelly fired. Hmm. And so I thought, did he get fired? <laughs> like, because I saw some report saying that somebody expects him to be fired after the USC game. I hate those kind of headlines, by the way. It's not news. I know. 
Well, it, unless he really was fired, I hate the headline that is intended to just grab your attention because it's written in that way. Yeah. yeah I hate that. Yeah, and it, and also, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You know? It's like, before the race begins, Usain Bolt is expected to win. <laughs> That's not a headline. <laughs> That's not news. <laughs> okay? But the truth is, Martin Jarman, the athletic director at UCLA, and Chip Kelly, the head football coach at UCLA, I know them both. Okay? Okay. I know them. I know who they are. I know what they're about. I've known them both for a while. They don't get along. Mm-hmm. Jarmon and Chip Kelly have a horrible relationship. Not a good relationship. And I think that UCLA and Jarmon wanted to fire Chip a year ago. And then Chip Kelly won some games. Couldn't fire him. And in fact, they extended his contract. And now they're stuck with it. And so it was interesting to me. Last night I was at the courthouse mm-hmm. in this Oregon State you know, Washington State things leave it, break it up, and uh, I had a chance to talk to both ADs at Washington State and Oregon State after the after mm-hmm. the hearing. Mm-hmm. And I kind of mentioned to one of the athletic directors, I said, you know, they just paid him $30 million. They can't, they're not going to really fire him, are they? And, the, and that, because UCLA was crying just, what, a year ago that they were financially in peril, and that's why they had to go to the Big Ten, <laughs> and now they're going to fire Chip Kelly? Are they going to the Big Ten so they can pay Chip Kelly? Like, to go away? Like, and is Chip Kelly speaking out about UCLA because he knows Mm. he ain't going with them? Right. I don't know. That's why he's had such loose lips talking about it. I I, I just can't see them being able to afford to fire him. But help me understand the background again. Jarman is is the AD who hired him? No, no, no. He didn't hire him. He inherited him. He inherited him. Okay. Jarman came from Ohio State to Boston College, to UCLA. Okay. Prior to taking the UCLA job, he called me, and he said, what do I need to know about the Pac-12? <laughs> and I had a long conversation with him, and I like Martin Jarman. Yeah. I like him. You know, he's young AD. He's yeah. got three daughters. I have three daughters. We had good conversations. <laughs> and, you know, even though UCLA backstabbed everybody and left, um, <laughs> I still have a decent relationship with Martin Jarman. Like, right. you know, we have a conversation. Yeah. But I've known Chip Kelly longer. Mm-hmm. And I know that Chip Kelly needs a wide berth. Yeah. And Martin Jarman, that's not his guy, probably wants to hire his own coach, mm-hmm. probably wanted to fire him a year ago. And I could just remember, I, I kind of thought, remember when Dan Lanning got hired by Oregon that Chip Kelly was in the conversation for like a blink? And then UCLA stepped up and extended Chip Kelly. Mm-hmm. You know, that came from Casey Wasserman and Troy Aikman, who are big boosters at UCLA. They wanted Chip Kelly to stay. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jarmon wanted Kelly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this report is based in. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me if Chip Kelly beats USC, they're going to fire him and pay him $30 million to sit in Pacific Palisades? Like, he might be the smartest guy ever. <laughs> might be the smartest guy ever. You got your 5 at 5 ready? I do, yeah. All right. BFTauction.com if you want to make a... Bid on one of those auction items. And and here's the thing you can do, too, as well. If, if the auction items aren't for you or it's not in your budget, share it on your socials. Show it to your friends. Show it to your family. Put it in your circle. Help get that as much exposure as possible. You're helping kids in southwest Washington and the state of Oregon. BFTauction.com. Co-curricular activities were big in my life growing up. I played a lot of sports. I got to play a musical instrument. I wasn't very good at it, but I got to try I had a lot of good teachers and a lot of good programs in my life. The Bald Face Truth Foundation aims to 
allow children to participate in art, music, education, and athletics. And since 2009, more than 15,000 kids have got to participate in summer camps and drama camps and theater productions and sports teams. And and, uh, sometimes families out there need some help or kids need the opportunity to be able to pick up an instrument. That's what the nonprofit does. Well, it only works with your help. And today and a little bit tomorrow, we aim to do that. We've got some online auction items at BFTAuction.com that you can check out, bid on, share with friends. One of the best things you could do is go through there and pick a friend on your phone that would be interested in four or five of those items and just share it with them. Tell them, hey, here's an opportunity for you to be on the sideline at a Washington State home football game next season or a Boise State home football game. Or behind the scenes with the University of Oregon women's basketball team. Or throw out the first pitch at a Hillsborough Hops game. Or sit courtside at a Blazers game. Or go with Grant McComey of KGW on Grant's Getaways and be on TV. BFTAuction.com. We also have an offer from the Shoe Mill Shoe Stores. Anybody uh, who is donating $50 today gets a $25 Shoe Mill gift card. You can make those d- uh, tax-deductible donations at 503 417 7575. Uh, we also have one more pair of Blazers tickets. This is a good one. It's a big game. These are center court, section 112, row P, against the Denver Nuggets on March 23rd. You get to look forward to this for a long time. If you go on StubHub right now, you're going to find that section and that approximate row selling for about $350 per ticket. It would cost you 700 bucks for two tickets right now on StubHub. We are asking for a $500 donation for the pair of tickets. 503-417-7575. Pair of tickets, March 23rd, Denver Nuggets, Blazers, Moda Center, Center Court, Section 112, Row P. First person to call in with a $500 donation gets the pair of tickets. Anna's here. She's going to do the five at five. She's all ready for this. Let's do it. The five at five. Cleveland Browns. Hey, 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 oh, hey, hey. God, you're just hey. Oh, man. It's the five biggest stories in sports. Number one. I thought we were done with that. Okay. Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson suffered. A season-ending shoulder injury in the first quarter against the Ravens. He's headed to injured reserve. It's a displaced fracture in the right glenoid, probably not saying that right, in his shoulder, and he'll have surgery to repair it. Full recovery is expected. He, uh, the, the number of games that he has not played in is staggering. So far this season, he's making almost $8 million per game played because he has been so injury-prone I got to say this, though. It was a little bit of karma. You know? You know, uh, you this know what I mean? This was the massage guy, Yeah, right? I was going to make a joke. I was going to be like, you know, if I was going to massage the stats, I would say that, you know, this hasn't worked out for the Browns to this point. But it just feels like it's a little bit of karma for the Cleveland Browns. Number two. 
Well, we mentioned this earlier, uh, but I think it's worth talking about again. Chip Kelly's time with the UCLA Bruins, is that coming to an end? Um, there's a report out with 24-7 Sports that it's very realistic that UCLA will fire Kelly uh, after a matchup against the Trojans as soon as Saturday, but it could be delayed until after the Cal game if the Bruins win Saturday's matchup. This right. feels very specific. Yeah. Could, may, if. Yeah, there's a lot of coulds and ifs and mays there. Um, here's the part of the article I think that is interesting. That a significant factor here is his perceived lack of a viable path forward as UCLA heads into the Big Ten. That he has little support from donors, especially in terms of NIL donations, which has now become the lifeblood of any college football And program. yet he got Dante Moore. This, this story feels planted to me. It does. Feels, you would know. It I feels mean, like... It feels like, can you read it again? Can you use the exact language? Just give me like a couple of quotes from high in the story. First three graphs, maybe. Uh, well, it's, you know, from what I know, many UCLA donors have chosen. Okay, from what I know is weak. Have that, chosen. Yeah, that's chosen. weak. This is from Tracy Pearson of 24-7. Okay, from what I know. From what I know. Which means Jack. Okay. Many. Many is nothing. Many UCLA donors have chosen not to donate to UCLA's football NIL fund as long as Kelly is the UCLA head coach. Yeah, but you know, it matters. Like, we all know in these big football programs that there are very few votes that count. Phil Knight's vote carries more weight than anybody at Oregon. You know, Jensen Huang at, at Oregon State, NVIDIA founder, his vote counts more than 50 people who are buying tickets. Um, at UCLA, it's the Wasserman family, and it's Troy Aikman. So it doesn't matter, many NIL, like, you know, 5,000 alumni don't want to give if Chip Kelly's the coach, doesn't matter. But the extension just a year ago had the blessing of Aikman and Wasserman. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. From what I know, many, uh-uh. You done with that? Yeah. Number three. <laughs> now I, I just don't know if I should like talk or wait for you to fire that thing. Maybe you should be in charge of it. Yeah, maybe I should. Um, okay. James Harden, not worried about his slow start with the Clippers. <laughs> he says, when we figure this out, it's going to be scary. And I'm just putting this out there because I got to know what you think about that. <laughs> Stephen, what do you think of James Harden saying, "Hey, yeah, 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 it don't matter when we get when we do this, it's really going to be something." Never mind what what we're doing right now. Well, I think the uh, the whole thing about the pack two actions speak louder than words. Uh, I'll, I'll wait till I see it on the court before I believe him because uh, he has said that in a lot of places. And then a year later, he wants out of that spot. Now, I do think this is maybe his last last chance, really, to like de you know direct where he wants to go. But uh, yeah, I, I don't believe him for uh, for a second. You know what this 5 at 5 is? It's kind of like a dinner party. Yeah. That I would like to put together. Okay. Chip Kelly. <laughs> huh? Yeah. James Harden. Yes. How about Judge Light? Deshaun Watson. Deshaun yeah. Watson. Judge Libby and his wife Trudy. <laughs> you know? We're on to something here. Mm-hmm. This is uh, the ultimate dinner party. Yeah, and Number Steve. four. Thanks, Anna. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, sticking with the NBA, Glenn Big Baby Davis just found guilty of swindling the NBA out of a ton of cash through the league's health care plan. Authorities claim that he accepted reimbursement for medical treatments that he never actually received. So this was the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York. They do a lot of stuff. Um, he is accused of lining his pockets, and you know he's joining this club of NBA alum, yeah, including some Blazers on that list. Darius Miles, uh, Melvin Eli, Ruben Patterson, some familiar names there. So I guess like the thirty-three million dollars that he made over the course of his career weren't enough. Um, you know, he was among the defendants uh, that garnered over $5 million in illicit profits. Yeah, it's not logical, but a lot of NBA players, get, they get a lot of freebies. They get a lot of doors open to them. They get a lot of gift bags. They have a lot of sponsors who want to give them things. You know, Blazers players having their cars detailed while they're practicing, whatnot. You know, there was a big scandal several years ago with the NBA officials who were traveling via first-class airline tickets, they would go to the counter and they'd cash the ticket in, oh. and they would take a coach seat, <laughs> and then they'd pocket the five or seven hundred bucks difference in fare, and they would keep it. Oh. They got in trouble because they failed to report taxes on it. Oh yeah. And the IRS got them. Yeah. It wasn't the league, and then the NBA fired a bunch of officials. Like you know, this just reminds me of like nothing like wealthy people getting free stuff. You know, and the player's going, hey, we found an angle. We found a loophole. We're just getting free money. I just don't know how they thought they could get away with it. It's not a real world thing. Are we on four or five? Uh, I think this is five. Let's see what the system says. Number five. (laughs) Um, Somehow this wasn't covered in that Netflix docuseries, Quarterbacks. Um, Got my attention now. The Kansas City Chiefs' Patrick Mahomes says that he's worn the same underwear for every game of his NFL career. Uh, I didn't need to know that. Now, he he did mention this before, and he does say that he regularly washes the undergarments. Oh, thank you. Unless <laughs> he and the Chiefs are on a hot streak. And they've been on some hot streaks. Um, the underwear is red, by the way. Red. Did they, were they always red? <laughs> Just want asking. Just. Uh, I don't need. To, I. I really don't need to know that. Well, you he's know? superstitious. But I. Why I, is that interesting? Why do you think people will find that interesting? It's interesting to me because it, it's really it's like oddly superstitious, right? Because like Michael Jordan, he always wore the same pair of North Carolina shorts under his Chicago Bulls uniform. When he went on to win six NBA titles and five MPPs, like they're 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 superstitious. Are you superstitious like that in any way? Uh, I am to a certain extent, but not like that. Not in a way that could potentially become gross. Last night, you know? when you bolted from one end yeah. of the end concourse yeah. in Seattle, I know what you're going to ask me. To the other, yeah. As you boarded the second flight, yeah, I did. Did you? Yeah, I knocked on the outside of the airplane. Is it right one hand. knock or two, two or knocks. three? It's two knocks. Okay. On the outside of the airplane. Hasn't mm-hmm. let me down yet. I just checked to make sure. Is this sturdy? Just give it a little <laughs> yeah, knock. The knock is going to be what time. Just give it a little knock. <laughs> like you're picking a watermelon in the, the produce yeah. section. But, uh, no, but I'm coming down the jetway. There's nobody there. I, my problem was I had 
I had a backpack with all my gear in it, and then I had a bag. It's kind of a getaway bag. And I had them both. <laughs> a Cooper bag. I had them both in my right hand, and so I had to switch hands as I was oh. coming down the jetway huh. and do a knock. You did the knock. I did a knock. I wondered if you did the knock. I knocked. I always knock. Mm-hmm. Do you I, do the knock, Stephen? No, I don't do the knock. Sometimes I touch the top of it just to feel it. Be like, oh, I touched an airplane, but no. <laughs> Try it. Give it a knock. You'll never stop. You know. How hard of a knock has it got to be, though? Not enough to move the plane. <laughs> just a little, like, you know, hey, is anyone in the bathroom? That kind of knock. Mm. You know, the last time I did it, the flight attendant saw me do it on the way in, and she said, oh, you're doing that for good luck, huh? I said, yeah, it's a family thing. We all do it. The whole family does it I now. Know. We make the kids do it. Yeah. Well, we tell the kids. We, we threaten them. It's we not say, underwear, though. We tell the kids the plane's going to crash if you don't do that. <laughs> Hashtag. Good parenting. Yeah. Follow us for tips. That's how you do it. That's how you create family traditions. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Take the garbage cans out or uh, oh. they might explode. <laughs> we create all kinds of good traditions. Yeah. Uh, all right. We got a fundraiser going on today. Yeah. It's part of the Bald Face Truth Foundation. Uh, why is the BFT Foundation important? Why is it important? Help people understand what the nonprofit does. Oh, man. I, you know, you and I sat around and we started this thing um, just sitting around one day. 2009. In 2009. Yeah. Because uh, Oregon was going through some budget cuts and these important extracurricular and co-curricular activities were getting cut, like music and art and all the things that kind of round out a kid's education. And we sat there and thought about all of the things that we had done growing up. You mentioned all the activities you did. I did sports. I did theater. I did music. Like, I was at school a lot doing these kinds of things, and I don't remember those things costing as much as they do now. They didn't. They didn't. And so it's like, you know, in our course of being journalists, we run across people, and I personally would run across people who, you know, they had to make these terrible choices. Either they were single parents and couldn't afford to have their kid do the activity that they loved or you know they were a whole family and um you know they had to pick like if they had like three or four kids they had to pick which kid could afford to do something that season or whatever and uh, like we know that a lot of times these kinds of activities are the thing that actually keeps a kid engaged in school particularly through middle school and high school because they have to keep their grades up to be able to participate in the after-school activity. So for us, it was like no, a really just a no-brainer to take the platforms that we have, whatever you know, whatever little exposure that we get, and funnel it toward the kids right here in our community who you know want to do these things and shouldn't be shouldn't not be able to do them because it's a money thing. Well, the school stopped asking in 2009. They stopped putting musical instruments in front of kids and they stopped going on field trips and teachers who bless them right now are going through you know there's some teachers out there that are trying to negotiate better pay there are other teachers that are just got their heads down and they're working and teachers have just for years reached into their own pockets and said hey i have a kid in my class who really could use a clarinet or really could use that drama camp that their parents can't afford and or needs a backpack or needs a pair of shoes and so teachers have reached into their own wallets and funded these things. And so we formed this nonprofit in part to help kids, but also to help teachers and send classes on field trips and pick up the cost of transportation on 
club events or group events and help drama programs put on dramas and helped, um, you know, a lot of kids play sports. Well, and it's not always the teachers. Like some of the best grant requests I feel like have come in from coaches or from other uh, observant adults in kids' lives who are saying, hey, man, this kid, you know, it really means a lot to this kid to participate in this after-school academic program. And uh, it really rounds out this kid's life. But I know that the family is going through, you know, dad's out of a job or mom's out of a job or something, and they're the ones reaching out on behalf of the kid. Like, that's inc- it's been incredibly meaningful um, to be able to, like, reach the thousands of kids that we've reached in the community over the years. All right, right now, if you call in, your $50 donation will be matched, uh, 100% match from Biologic Resources, so your 50 is uh, really got some buying power. And also, the Shoe Mill Shoe Stores are giving you a $25 gift card if you make a $50 donation, and if you make a $100 donation, they'll give you a $50 gift card. So you can do that at 503-417-7575. We've got uh, Blazers tickets still available, not available? Uh, They are available. Denver Nuggets on March 23rd. uh, All right. right. If anybody wants to make a $500 donation, you get a pair of tickets to see the Blazers and Nuggets March 23rd. And for $500, you are sending probably about four kids to summer camp. Or you're sending a class on a field trip or a grade on a field trip, depending what kind of field trip it is. Or you're providing uh, a set of books for a classroom and a musical instrument rental for a kid. Think about the practical power of that in the hands of a child who uh, really does, really just wants to participate and, and uh, you know, feed their passion. You can do that at 503-417-7575. Grant McComey, Grant's Getaways. On KGW, Grant's going to join us coming up, talk about what's going on in the hunting and the fishing world. And fact uh, is that Grant has an auction item available at BFTAuction.com where he is allowing you and a guest to accompany him on an episode of Grant's Getaways on KGW. You get to be on the TV, and you get to go in, uh, why are you laughing? <laughs> the TV. Well, I'm just saying it. Like Marge, that. the TV, They're, Marge. You get to be on the TV. And you get to go on the episode, and he'll let you pick the episode. So he'll be like, hey, I'm going elk hunting, or I'm going fishing on the Willamette, or I'm going whatever Grant does. And you can go, oh, yeah, 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 that sounds like a lot of fun. And I've done it. I've done an episode of Grant's Getaways. I got in a boat with Grant and a cameraman, caught a big old fish, and we put it on the TV on KGW. Grant's been doing it for years. He's got a big heart. That's what makes him tick. And he'll be joining us uh, coming up to talk about, um, you know, that and uh, and certainly uh, talk about, uh, you know, what uh, what that means to him. Also, uh, here on this great Wednesday, we're uh, going to get a visit from Jonathan Smith, oh. the Oregon State football coach. So we'll do those back to back. I want you to leave it here. Man, I wish that Oregon State's football team could have heard the interview with uh, the Washington beat writer earlier, who just kind of talked about Oregon State like, you know, Washington's better, Washington's superior, Washington's got it all together, oh, they're undefeated, all this stuff. Jonathan Smith uh, is joining us now, Oregon State football coach. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing solid, you know, getting ready for a... 
for a big one Saturday and try to stick to the same rhythm and all that. Um, so yeah, doing good. You guys looked really good against Stanford. That that feel like everything just kind of fell in place. Yeah, I came together. We you know played well and got some momentum early. I told the team I appreciate the maturity, you know, because could have a, la- a team with less maturity maybe starts overlooking right the next week yeah. and you know, what's coming and all that went out and was locked in from the start of the task at hand and and so you know the place was rocking got a lot of guys in toward the end which is always fun to celebrate those guys that work really hard and don't see as much playing time and got them in there and so yeah and now it's on to the next one when you were hired i remember talking to some longtime Oregon State fans who said they remembered Jonathan Smith running around the field at Husky Stadium with one shoe on trying to complete a pass. Do you remember that? Yep. I know I was running around. We were running a, you know, <laughs> seven-man protection, and I was half roll, and then, the yeah, the shoe comes off, and you slide a little bit to your right and just chuck it as far as you can throw it, and Chad runs underneath it for a touchdown. <laughs> it was pretty nice to have uh, TJ and Chad out there running, running down the field. Oh, no doubt, man. It made me, made me look a lot better than I was. When you got some talent, and then you can hand the ball to Simonton. You got a big time old line, and you know we could play some defense. And quarterback oftentimes gets too much credit or too much blame. I was getting too much credit. I know that. Uh, I don't know, man. I think sometimes it, that comes with the job, but you got to take it, you know, because you know damn well it would have been your fault. If it wasn't going well, so take the credit. Uh, yeah. Mike, Mike Riley gave an interview, and he said he remembered his first conversation with you. You were in high school. Yeah, Glendora High School, is that right? Yep, yep. Hey, by the way, Tony Robbins went to your high school. Did you know him? Yeah, I, I, I did not know him, no, but I know he did go to Glendora. He's a little bit older than I, so we weren't there, but that's a legend, man. I know. Glendora High. I was looking at all the alumni, the famous people, and you're on the list, Tony Robbins, and I was like, "Oh, I gotta ask you. Like, did did you have an older brother or anybody who knew Tony Robbins or or a teacher who said that that Tony Robbins sure was full of energy?" No, no, we got no real tie or connection to knowing him or anything like that. But uh, yeah, he's a proud alum, just like me. Do you remember the first conversation with Riley and how that went? You know, I yeah, what I remember is. You know, he had just finished at USC, and me growing up down there, you know, I followed the Trojans, and I started asking him about it. They were starting to play two quarterbacks at the time and the the strategy of it, because that was my intention, wanting to get into get into coaching. So the first time I think I actually did, did ask him about that. Yeah, he said he remembered you talking about coaching as a high school kid. And a lot of high school kids aren't like – like, do you encounter that as a coach? Do you run into guys who say, I want to coach someday, or, or is everybody just talking about them wanting to play? Yeah, it's all about playing. I mean, there's a, a small few that, you know, I want to play as long as I can and then get into coaching type thing. I just had it in my mind that I wanted to go learn as much as I could. And at the end of the day, Oregon State was my biggest option to be a part of a program. There's some smaller schools recruiting me. Um, but I thought by walking on at Oregon State, I was going to get exposed to the best teaching possible about the game, strategy, and all that. And then ultimately, by walking on, if it – you know, whatever, a year or two into it, it wasn't working out, wasn't going to play. I could always transfer back down to the type of schools that were recruiting me. Jonathan Smith is with us. Big game against Washington. Before I get into the game, I, you know, I, I was looking at the Raiders today, and Jaden Grant is traveling with the Raiders, and he is 
one injury away from being on the field now, and I'm kind of looking at the depth chart, and I'm going, he's just hanging around like he did at Oregon State. What do you think of that kid being in an NFL camp now, sticking with a team, traveling with a team, on the sideline, one injury away from being in the game? Yeah, it's so awesome. Uh, doesn't surprise me, just knowing knowing him so well, the type of you know competitor he is and maturity he has and talented and football meant a ton, so it does not shock me at all that he's over there and he's working his way up. Um, I know we miss him around here, uh, everything that he brought on and off the field, but couldn't be couldn't be happier for him. And we got other guys, you know, on teams and playing and, sure. you know, Musgrave catching touchdowns, but Jaden's a, a special one and will never be forgotten around here. What do you learn from a guy like that? It, because I, I got to think his measurables were not good. Like, as, relative to Pac-12 defensive backs, if you just looked at his 40 time and his vertical and his shuttle and you went, you know, you're not going to circle that guy and go, that guy, I need to have him, and yet he was such an important part of your team. Yep, he, he was an immeasurable part, especially when he was young. I mean, he needed to gain some weight, and he did that. It works, but his instincts, how well, you know, just smart, he prepared, he's competitive. Um, all of that plays out on the field. And so, yeah, he might have been short on a couple measurables here or there, but when you turned on the tape and he's in your locker room, he had huge value. I was curious to see if an NFL team would notice that, and it appears that he's hanging around. So I go, I won't. I, t- I texted him. I said, I'm not going to be surprised when you're, you're on the field. Uh, Jonathan Smith is with us. Do you have a guy like that on your roster now who, you know, one guy that you can humanize a little bit for people on Saturday who are looking for a player to watch? Do you have a guy that you just go, hey, this guy just works hard, even a special teams player? Right. You know, I think Jake Reichel on special teams, the guy, you know, gives it all for the – for he actually had a couple carries last week. Looked pretty good getting the ball to the safety, but he's been awesome on teams, all in on the thing. I think about Easton Mascarenas, the influence he has in this locker room. Yeah, he's a really you know he's a good player. Highlight. He might be leading the league in tackles right now. But even out at practice today, I mean, he he's emotional. This stuff means something. When it's not right, he wants to get it fixed. On his side of the ball, he's got huge influence around here. How do you prep for Michael Penix Jr.? Yep, not uh, not the easiest task. I mean, this guy, and, and uh, his supporting cast is unbelievable. But the guy is really, really good. I mean, the ability to recognize coverage—you can't fool this guy. He will stand in the pocket and buy some time if he needs to. Accurate. He's got a ton of confidence and throwing the ball 50-50 to his guys that are making a bunch of plays. I think schematically, he understands understands that thing inside and out because they are changing the picture pre-snap. Shift, motion, ball, snap, gets into his hands. Um, he's dangerous. A little extra in this one for you guys or just another game? Oh, I think you get toward the end. There's definitely just the stakes, right? Last game in research this season. Um, the opportunity to continue to battle for a conference championship. Yeah, so these last last two are big and mean a little bit more. Yeah, you want to be playing your best ball at the end, and the biggest games are at the end, and we're right here. I talked to your AD last night after the court hearing. I was in Colfax hanging out at the courthouse, and he said, we've got a plan, and he says, Jonathan Smith knows the plan for 24. You know, you don't have to tell me the plan, but do you like the plan? 
Yeah, I mean, that, yesterday was a big day to continue to progress on on putting this thing together, uh, a competitive schedule next year, and it's not finalized yet, but the people we're talking to and the teams we're considering, uh, you know, feel like that'll be a competitive schedule. The funding part, right, we're going to continue to fund at the Power 5 level, and that was a huge decision yesterday to continue to be able to do that. And um, so, and it, it, him, not just Scott alone, but they have been working on this thing. There is so much to digest in this you know, navigating um, the scenario we're in. It takes a little time, and, and that was another huge step yesterday. You know, it's been fun to watch you and the progression of when you first came through the doors to now and, and the way that you have, you know, your program's evolved. Do you feel like you're doing mostly the same stuff, but you have tweaked here and there, or what is the biggest adjustment or the biggest area that you are different now as a program than when you first arrived? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we still have very similar core beliefs than when, I, you know, for year one, year two, talking about trust, accountability, doing it together. We're still saying a lot of those same things in year six. You're always refining, right? And now how we're recruiting and, uh, you know, schematically, yeah, it's it's similar stuff, but we've always, we've grown to being a little bit different than year one and year two, especially I think about offensively and, and what that thing has uh, looked like. Not dramatic changes, but but there's tweaks and, and you just learn right each each team is different right year one to year six and the the maturity or the leadership the where what position your best players are on all those kind of things i mean totally different home field advantage year one to year six i mean this place is unbelievable and it will be again saturday so that's something that's grown and i definitely appreciate so there's a lot there how about you personally how different are you or where do you find yourself maybe investing more time versus less time when you first got there? Yeah, early on, I probably was a closer to the micromanager, you know, making sure coaches, how are we coaching this, especially on offense. Um, you know, just having a continuity of staff so long that I've removed myself way more than year one and year two. I've tried to grow in this, you know, management of the games and decision-making, whatever it is, fourth down. Uh, possessions mean a ton now in my mind versus year one and year two, not so much. I mean, the, the style of play and defense. Uh, so anyhow, that, that management part, I put a lot of time and thought into that kind of thing, and it doesn't always go perfect. Obviously, we know that on some of these decisions, but a lot of them I feel good. Like even last week, I don't think people – right. I mean, we went for it again, fourth down twice. We went for it on fourth and short on our own side of the field, about the 38-yard line. Kind of whole hum. We got it. DJ go, and then we that drive turns into seven points. We did the same thing on the second drive or the first drive, of the second half. Gets into that fringe area. It's fourth and five. We go for it. We get it. We turn it into seven points. And so, those decisions are made with some thought and analysis that I spend during the week. What does Washington look like on defense to you? Yeah, physical edge. The edge of defense is really good. They get some good edge players, big physical up front. I think the linebackers is good. The inside linebackers is good in, as there is in the league, and they play well together. Um, they've created some havoc turnover-wise. I mean, and they've won some low-scoring games. This has not been every single game that offense just outscores everybody. Some of these, they've won. You know, they know how to win. Um, so, solid group on defense. And some of the, you know, that defense has been on the field a while because that offense can be so explosive, the ball turns back over to the opponent pretty quick. And so some of their numbers maybe are a little higher than maybe they'd want, but some of that's just because their offense scores so quick. Yeah, and, and that offense, you know, they're going to have some home runs. And I, and I kind of, I'm interested to see how you guys 
respond because you know they're going to challenge you and you know they may come up with some big plays down the field and i've just watched some opponents don't react well when that happens others sort of you know have to have a short memory you know how you know obviously you don't want to tell your guys hey you're going to give up big plays but you know it's going to happen with Penix, right yeah, we talk about it, and not just because it's Penix or Washington. I mean, they've got good players over there. they got good coaches. Every opponent we play, we don't play a game of perfect. It's the ability to, to respond. I mean, you talk about sustained excellence. It's not playing perfect. Some of excellence is the ability to respond, not react. We talk about that. We're responding to things, not reacting. Because um, they are. They're going to make some plays. They might score some points, just like each week it happens. And we talk about it the same way. Say we take a little bit of a lead, right? How are we going to respond to being in the lead? Are we going to get comfortable, get a little cocky, things like that? These games are long, four quarters, um, a lot of momentum swings, and we've got to be the best at handling that. I, I can't wait. I think it's the best game in the country. It's going to be at your stadium. You know it's going to be rocking. I think the stakes are high. I think both teams are really good. I think... I kind of see it in the in the low to mid 30s both teams you know I think it's I think you're it's it's a pick 'em in my mind I'll make my pick tomorrow but I I mean this is this is everything you talked about when you got the job Yeah wanted to, you know meaningful stuff really good opponent home field advantage yes but these guys haven't lost a game all year um it it is these are the kinds of games you want to play or coach in uh, the excitement leading up and then the and you got to kick off and you got to play have you reached out to Tony Robbins, asked him to come talk to the team or anything? I think maybe I'll tweet at him, you know. Hey, did you know yeah. you guys are, you know, that would be kind of cool to have him in there, you know. Oh, he's good at that stuff. Now public speaking and, yeah. little NIL he, uh, money? He could he could be an NIL guy? Come on. Seriously, if you could get him lined up with that, that would be huge. Yeah. <laughs> See, now we're talking, right? I'm speaking your love totally. language now. <laughs> I love it. All right, totally. hey. Good luck to you. I'll see you at the stadium. Give him hell. Okay, appreciate it, John. All right, there he is, Jonathan Smith. Uh, Tony Robbins and Jonathan Smith, same high school. Fun fact. You see how he pepped up there when we start talking about NIL? All of a sudden, you know, coaches, you know where their minds are these days. Uh, big football game. I, I, I'm picking the Beavers. I think they're going to win. I think it's going to be something like 34-31, 35-33. It's going to be right in there, close game. How do you pick against a team that's 17-1 and at home, even against a 10-0 and team? It's so hard to win on the road. Home favorites are lethal in the Pac-12. Coming up, Grant McComey, KGW. Grant McComey, KGW, will be joining us here momentarily. Come on the show. Let's uh, let's grab him now, guys. Uh, Grant is on standby. Jonathan Smith was great, and uh, we will get Grant McComey to talk about Grant's getaways in the package of auction items that are available at bftauction.com. What'd you make of Jonathan Smith when I asked him about the schedule and the plan for 2024? Stephen, do you have uh, any kind of your radar come up there? Yeah, I thought it was uh, real interesting. You know, he, he he said he loves the plan, and I think that's the that's the best part about it. Said he talked about the schedule being competitive, and the teams we're talking to. Now, I've talked about there being a plan A and a plan B. Kind of sounded like maybe the plan at Oregon State is to play a better than Mountain West Conference schedule. I don't know. I'll have more on this at johnconzano.com, of course. Grant McComey, Grant's Getaways.
KGW, joining us now. Grant, thank you uh, for bearing with me today and for joining us. Um, obviously, you're part of the BFT Foundation auction every year. You offer the Grant's Getaways Adventure, where people can find it at bftauction.com. But Grant McComey joining us. Hey, why do you do this for us, Grant? Why are you so generous? Well, you know, my wife is uh, wrapping up about 40 years of teaching elementary school. And uh, as you know, I teach at Pacific University, and I started my life as a high school teacher. And uh, education has been very much a part of our lives, and we just think what you do, you and Anna, uh, particularly with the Camp Exceptional work and all the outreach that goes on, I just uh, am drawn to it. I think it's an important part of what you do and and everything about what John Canzano does. I just feel lucky to be a part of it. That's all. Well, we appreciate you every year. You donate this auction item. And uh, basically, sure. uh, help, help us understand, for people who want to check it out, and again, it's at bftauction.com. Grant, what do they get if they win the Grant's Getaways Adventure Package? Well, this has been around a long time as an item, and uh, it, it just kind of grew out of a, a need to help the community maybe better connect with what we do and maybe raise some money for a good cause as well. Grant's Getaways runs uh, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday at KGW, both in the newscast as a, and as a half-hour program for a long time now. And the trip that we provide, the experience we provide um, the folks that bid on this, is pretty much what they'd like to do. We, we give them an idea of what we have coming up in the next year, and they select a trip that they'd like to join us on. So they go as part of the action, and uh, we talk with them and learn their story and why they thought it was important to be part of what you do. And we feature them in not only our news segment, but in our half-hour show as well. And uh, it's a full year of opportunities with all kinds of things. We have done fishing. We've done crabbing. We've done wildlife um, opportunities. We've done uh, digging for uh, the Oregon's uh, uh, state rock, uh, thunder eggs. And, well, yeah, you know, we've done all kinds of really interesting things with folks, and we kind of let them uh, choose what they'd like to do uh, from our uh, menu of upcoming stories. Grant McComey, KGW, is with us. Did you imagine when you were a kid or even in college that this would be part of your job? <laughs> no, thank you. I, I didn't uh, get the bug uh, for television until I was much older. I'd been teaching, and I happened to fall in with some guys through friends of friends who were looking for somebody who could schlep gear and write a complete sentence. And uh, <laughs> as, a, as an English teacher, I uh, filled the bill, and I went to work with them. One was a news guy over at COIN, and the other, or excuse me, at uh, KGW, and the other was a reporter over at COIN. And they were producing a freelance uh, kind of half-hour outdoor show. This is about 77, 78. And I got involved with those guys and just got bit by the bug of telling stories, outdoor stories particularly, with video. And that time, things were changing so rapidly, coming off of film and going into video. And it was just intriguing to be able to tell these stories in a different way. So uh, I got the bug, and, and uh, no, I had no idea as a younger man what, what the heck I was going to do with my life that way. I thought I would be a teacher. Um, so, so I like to tell folks that 
things after 40 some years have not really changed. My classroom simply got bigger. <laughs> I love that. You've got the Pacific Northwest as that classroom. Grant McComey with us. Uh, give us an idea of what you're seeing in the hunting and the fishing and the outdoors world in the last year or two. I feel like I've lost touch a little bit with sort of the the news and what's what's sort of hot and happening yeah. in our region that way. That's a great story. Uh, we have a segment coming up um, about a fishing legend uh, who's retired after 50 years of guiding in the in the Oregon Oregon state waters, and um, he's seen and done it all. And that was a very question I posed to him. You know, tell us about the changes you've seen. And uh, here's a guy who's on it. Every single you fished with the guides. You know these guys. David Johnson. I know you fished yeah. with. Um, yeah. These guys live and breathe this stuff, so they're very savvy as far as rules and regulations and what's on the horizon, the way things are going, the trends, the concerns, the rules, the regulations. Everything's changing all the time. It seems. And I asked John, John Crodhopper is his name. He's a firefighter guide service, and he's just retired after 51 years of doing this work. John, what is it that you think, you know, looking ahead, if you were to take lessons from the past and look ahead, he says, oh, my gosh, I don't know. That's a great question, Grant. I think more than anything, to be nimble because things are changing so much. Seasons fluctuate from one year to the next. Regulations follow. And you have to be so aware. And he says people are really savvy, too, more savvy than they were 50 years ago. They are aware of issues pertaining to salmon protection and habitat improvements and all kinds of things that we can do to help fish. He said that being nimble is a really important criteria for being a guide these days. Yeah, I'm thinking about sort of the the changing landscape, the rules, the regulations, and all that stuff. But, you know, you're at the middle of it, and, you know, there's such an interest in it in our part of the world. And so many people know you, Grant. And I got to know, you know, you've written a book, you're teaching, you're doing all this other stuff. Like, you know... Did you enjoy the process of writing the book? Did you, you know, do you oh, look back yes. on it? You, is there another one oh, out there yeah. for you? Well, you know, we have, uh, John, we've been writing these guidebooks across the Oregon landscape for 22 years, and um, I've got plenty more to write about. Um, it's interesting because you will appreciate this story. We, we've produced a story this uh, fall on uh, Dean Krauser. And I was able to visit, Dean is a well-known figure in the sports world as a college athlete. He still holds records at Oregon for uh, shot put and uh, discus, as I recall. And, uh, of course, he's uh, the the, uh, the uncle to world champion, and uh, uh, Ryan. And uh, his, his own kids are very uh, accomplished athletes. Anyway, long story here. But uh, I, I, I talked to him about you know, his love of the outdoors and what it was that really got him fired up because he's an avid fisherman and loves to travel across the state and fishes whenever he can and oftentimes with his kids or with his nephew, who are also avid Oregon anglers. And uh, he says, you know, it's it's for me now at this point, uh, it's, it's the opportunity to see the outdoors from my kids' point of view that gets me excited. And I run into that all the time in my public speaking and writing my books. It's the opportunity to bring a new generation into the Oregon outdoors, kind of the way I was brought 
into the outdoors as a as a grandchild of a, of a grandfather who was very determined that his kids were going to learn about Oregon. So I'm, I'm trying to pass that on. And, uh, I, you know, it, the book business is a, a whole other animal and you just never know. But um, we've had five books now in the Grant's Getaway series, and and wow. uh, I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I really, I really get a kick out of it. Grant McComey, I thank you, and I thank you for your support. Yeah. For anybody who wants to bid on this auction item, it closes tomorrow at five o'clock. So you got about 23 hours left in the auction. Grant's Getaway's Adventure. You go to bftauction.com. Grant McComey, thank you, man. You bet. Thank you. There he goes. Bid on that. Go on that adventure. Or buy it for someone else. You're going to help kids, and you're going to have a hell of a time. I appreciate everybody who's called in today and donated. We'll continue this tomorrow. On Friday, we are broadcasting from Killer Burger in West Lynn. Show up 3 to 6 p.m. We've got giveaways, and we're going to have a fun time on Friday. I hope you're there for it. Steven's going to be out there. He'll be out there as well. So we'll be back tomorrow with another great show. The BFT is out.